What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 29 of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my, uh, I don't want to say co-conspirator, with my tag team championship partner in crime uh, and my co-host, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What is going on, man? The tag team champions of the world hate y'all straight out of the pit. Pittsburgh, PA. Doing good, hate y'all. As you could tell, pretty pumped up this week. I'm nice and healed. No more foot issues or anything. The J is about to be back to 100%, even though I have a, uh, a follow-up appointment for hernia, which are, I've already had hernia surgery. So uh, I'm telling you, man, I was talking to you about it. Like turning 40, it's like all of a sudden I went from being like one of the healthiest mugs on the planet to, you know, spending 4th of July in the hospital and follow-up hernia appointments i'm like what the hell man yeah i'm only a couple months away so i'm really looking forward to that yeah i was gonna say one there's one thing i'm looking forward to it's spending way more time in a hospital uh not really but nonetheless but uh you know man uh i saw you were pretty busy over the weekend too not not really uh, out and about or anything but just uh, you had a big project at your house yeah well we said like uh, on the outset of the whole corona living and pandemic living and everything having free time especially for somebody like myself that's you know hustling two small businesses and a family and everything uh, my free time is is just so rare and that gave me the opportunity to eye up some some side projects and things like that that we have thoroughly discussed throughout the weeks here on the pod. And one of those things was one I didn't get to until this past weekend, as you're referencing, and that was reorganizing my whole entire film collection, um, you know, the hard copies, of course. And as you know, as a fellow collector, hey, Ed, that it was a hell of a task, task that actually bled into uh, two days. It, it went from uh, um, most of Saturday and into half of Sunday uh, to completion. But it's one of those weird things as a human, man. It's like, you know, to somebody else, it's like kind of eye rolling or maybe sounds kind of boring or something like that. And to me, it was like a fun process, uh, finding some gems um, of which I was texting you throughout the process. Like, yeah, stuff I, I didn't even say, know I, I had. a couple texts. Like, yeah. dude, I forgot I even had. This. I'm like, dude, I didn't know I had. I had first and ten, a very old HBO show, the entire series that I don't even remember how I stumbled upon getting that. Like you had mentioned when I texted you, you're like, dude, I didn't even know they had a, a set for first and ten. So it, it was cool finding things like that in my own collection, and, and it's just a good feeling getting reorganized. Everything's, um, you know, reorganized and clean and. Um, you know, all the genres are back together. So the whole collection is put together by genre and things like that. So uh, as a collector, it was a fun thing. And, and it's it was, um, you know, great to finally have that done because it's something I've been eyeing up for, honestly, at least a couple years at this point. You know, I was thinking about this, too, because and I don't even know how I ran across this one day on YouTube. It was definitely after we were talking about that. But, you know, the dude, the, the he does Cinemassacre, but he's the the angry video game nerd. Yeah. Okay, so he posted some video. I don't even think it was new, uh, but I just it was like on my feed, so I ended up watching it. But he was it was like the ten reasons why uh, Blu-ray sucks, and I was like, okay, well, that's kind of a weird thing. Like that's more like something somebody would have did years ago. So I was like, well, let me see what this is. And the dude actually brought up a really good point, and that's what I kind of what I wanted to bring up on the show. Uh, and he said one of the reasons Blu-ray sucks is because like how lazy a lot of companies are. So. You might have a DVD, and you're th- like most people. He said he had the mindset, and this is exactly like us. Like when a Blu-ray would come out, you would want to replace your DVD. Common sense, right? Like I'm going to buy the Blu-ray, and then I'm going to sell the DVD, give it to somebody, throw it away, whatever. 
But then you quickly realize that you couldn't even do that because a lot of times they didn't port over like the special features or a documentary or something really good about that movie that you want in your collection. So he's like, now you not only didn't get to replace the original, but now you have to keep the shittier version just for the extra features. And I thought about that because that I came across that a few times because when we talked about it, I said I did the same thing like a year or so ago. And I was like trying to purge some stuff out of the collection and I was getting pissed because I kept having I'm like dude I have to keep fucking three versions of this one because this one has the documentary this one's the one that's the best looking version and then this one has a commentary track on it that the other fucking two don't have and I'm like this kind of sucks that is a perfect glimpse into the life of a collector hey Ed. yeah and a lot of a lot of people wouldn't understand it and a lot of my friends you know they think i'm nuts because you know especially even even tech savvy friends of mine um that understand collecting like my buddy chris and as you know shout out to uh our mutual friend that we grew up with guillermo guillermo has a humongous film collection but it's all digital and that's why i brought up chris our buddy chris same thing and and both of them preached to me like dude you know you have to go digital like it's it's similar or so much more organized your wife won't be wanting to strangle you with all these boxes of crap everywhere but as you know i have a nice little spot for my hard copy collection it's in my den at my house and there's like a built-in um back in the corner so it's perfect. It's out of the way. It's displayed because that's what I like, man. I like owning these worlds and displaying them and be able to just sit there and, yeah. and go through them and, and look at them. And, and back to your point yeah. with what you were talking about, that's when it becomes like it's it's your personal collection. So here's the key word with, with what you were saying, hey, Ed, with having to keep certain copies because different things are on them. And that's prioritization. You know, it's like, what are my priorities? Like, I definitely, you know, if it's like you have three copies of Night of the Living Dead, and to your point, it's like the Criterion Collection one has this one, and that's your best copy, but this prior version has this documentary that hasn't been on anything else, I'm going to keep these. And that's kind of what I did going through it. I'm like, okay, most of these DVDs, um, and you even gave me the advice, like, you're like, dude, I'm I'm sure you're going to pretty much store away the DVDs that are like mainstream films because they're all available on demand and on Netflix. And I'm like, of course, you know, that's, that's my priority is to store like, you know, my Adam Sandler DVDs and things like that. And like basically anything you, you would see like on Netflix, it's not like, you know, it's on there and then it's gone in a month, like shit that's been on there for like two years. Like I don't really need to pull out my taxi driver Blu-ray because it's on Netflix and it's not going anywhere. Right. And, and and, uh, I also, reorganize the DVDs into bins that like, honestly, it's like if something pops in my head and I'm like, Oh, I got the DVD. They're they're right up in the attic. My attic's not tough to get to and everything's labeled and organized. So I could just pop open the box and pull it out if I want, you know, and 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 now they're they're stored out of the way. This is kind of cool too. I noticed this. It's not the same way you did it, but I have something similar. Like I have stuff that's like tucked away on shelves. Right. So like what I do every once in a blue moon is I'll like dig you know, like that whole section out. And then I'll be like, you know, because like I've been either thinking about stuff that I had or I'll be like, you know, I really need to look at those ones that are tucked away. So like when I do pull the stuff and I'm, I have everything accessible or in your case, you would actually go up in the attic and open up the box with the mindset of like, I'm going to pull out a handful of things in here just to watch. And then once I, 
like roll through my little stack then I'm just put them back in the box and I'm going to do that once every you know like maybe like a couple times a year I'll go up and grab stuff out of the box and just see what's in there like maybe there's a few things that you've been meaning to rewatch or so cuz that's weird too like you know you own stuff and you don't touch it for years and then like because of something else like one thing that happens with me a lot is like a director will pass away. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, I want, I want to go back and watch all their stuff. Yep. So then I have to go through my collection and be like, all right, I don't have this one. I don't have that one. Uh, let me pull out all the other ones that I do have. And then what usually ends up happening is like another one will be on a streaming service. And then maybe I'll be like, oh, I found it at Best Buy for five bucks. So I just picked up a DVD of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it works, man. And and, and that's the thing is just um, those key keyword too is uh, organization and just being organized, like you said, to kind of like be able to dip in, in and out and find things and not, you know, because in the past, like when I was younger and like organized chaos and that sort of thing, you know, nothing was in genre. It would, it would probably take me like a million years to find something or I would look for something and not find it. And then two years later, stumble upon it. Like, dude, I was looking for this. I wanted to watch it so bad, you know? So, so yeah, again, dude, it's at the end of the day, it's just. Oh. A good feeling to be reorganized and have everything like at hand you know and then and then this is really fun i don't know if this happened to you at all but this happened to me a couple times but i forget what they were except for one so or well two actually so i was digging through my collection and i was like moving stuff around so like when you do that you kind of like know in your mind what you already passed up right or what you already put on the shelf so like i'm digging through my stuff like i'm like halfway through right so I'm going through this little section of DVDs and I see Shaft and Shaft in Africa in shrink wrap. So I, I have them and I never open them, right? But then I was pissed because I realized that like 10 minutes prior to that, I just put Shaft and Shaft in Africa on a shelf. So I'm like, dude, I have doubles of these fucking things somehow. Like, I know I bought them super cheap. It might have been like years ago when like Big Lots were doing those like $5 DVD blowouts and shit. But nonetheless, I'm like, dude, I, I have double copies of this, and I didn't even open them. So it's like I bought them twice thinking I didn't have them, and I never even bothered to watch them when I bought them. I had a few of those. And I, I was actually kind of proud that I didn't have more, you know, because, <laughs> again, it's life, well, life yeah, of a collector. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't understand. But uh, over the years, because I was thinking about that too, hey, Ed, I basically started film collecting at the, um, the invention, if you will, of the DVD. You know, I remember I, yeah. I ended up, it was in college. I was probably like towards the end of college, um, got it my idea that I got the idea that I wanted to start film collecting. And at the time it was still VHS copies. And I'm like, you know what? DVDs are just starting to roll out. So I'm going to start with that. And that's why grand total had pretty big bins. I had six full bins uh, stored in my attic of the DVD collection that I started rough, okay. roughly in about, you know, probably 0102. So that's going on 20, okay. 20 years of film collecting that I'm closing it on here. I'm about at 19 years right now of collecting film. Now, I know you weren't like ticking away a, a, you know, a chalkboard when you were doing this, but just if you had to, especially since you just went through all of it, uh, if you had to give a ballpark number to how many discs you think, or how many, well, I'll say it this way, how many movies... So it could, like you could have a thirty movie set that's small, you know what I mean? Like, how many movies do you think you have? So, just from calculating the DVDs in those bins alone, um, each row it was probably like roughly almost twenty. I would say each of those boxes probably have close to fifty 
DVDs in them. Um, so 50. So you're talking 300 just from those. So yeah, like, yeah, roughly like 300 or so DVDs. And then you add in all the Blu-rays, which are probably equivalent. So I'd say I'm close to like a thousand hard copy, you know, just a rough rounded up number of, of, you don't think you have over a thousand, like just movies, not singular discs. Like you could have like five movies on one disc or collection or yeah. Plus the, uh, some of the other discs, um, yeah, it'd probably be double that. It'd probably be close to two thousand. I'd say I'm somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand, roughly. It, one day, if okay, I'm bored, I, I, you know, I should have did it while I was doing this, but you know me again. I'm like organized chaos, and I, I kind of like am like an idiot savant in certain ways of how I do things. So I, I should have just taken the time to like, you know, mark everything and stuff like that since I was doing it anyway. But but yeah, just just I, off the top of my head with your question, I'd say I probably have fifteen hundred to two thousand hard copy movies, grand total. That's that's kind of something that bums me out. Like I remember a few years ago, and off the top of my head, I don't remember the name of it, but I was using an app that was like a collection app. Like you just scan the barcodes in, and it keeps a list of all the stuff that you have. Um, but of course, because my collection's so varied, and I have like a lot of weird stuff, a lot of independent stuff, a lot of like you know. They're nowhere near major studio releases, so I they didn't have a lot of my collection on here. Um, but, like, that's what sucks. Like, I really want an app that I can, like, a cataloging app that I can, and they have these for a lot of others. Like, one, I know uh, one of the things me and you both definitely use is, the, like, the cataloging portion or the portfolio on StockX for shoes. Right. Um, and it's the same idea, just basically like I can go on my phone and open up an app and look at everything I already have. And they, like I said, they had something similar to it a few years ago, uh, for movies, but it just wasn't accurate enough for me. So I just quit using it, but that's really what I want or need other than just typing out a fucking list, which I don't want to do. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, like that's kind of what like, and I know a lot of other collectors and people like us that are in the same boat with that. They all kind of want something like that. Yeah, and catalog your collection specific, you know, to specifics. Well, it just, it helps to be, you know, like if you're hopping online to buy some stuff or if you're at a store or whatever, you, you know, like movie purchasing scenario you find yourself in, you at least have something to refer to to make sure you're not rebuying the same thing or what version of this do I have? And what are like, can I look on the app and see the differences, like what the special features are and shit like that. Like, I just think, and maybe it's just me. Maybe there is something like that, that I don't know about. Yeah. I think but there is, but they're, I, I pay, they're pay apps, you know, you have to pay for them, but which I'd be fine doing that as long as it's not a subscription, you yeah. know what I, Like I would pay like $20 for a one-time fee thing and to have an app like that up. where I can use. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, it gives me the ability to edit stuff. So, like, if they don't have something in their catalog that I own, I could, like, put my own thing in there. So, it's just represented in one way, shape, or form, and I can look at it. Um, but, yeah, I think if there if there isn't something like that out there, dude, like, there somebody's missing the boat. Like, if I fucking worked on apps, that's what I'd be doing right now. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Let's throw it at the peeps. Anybody listening out there, you know... Friends and fans of us here at the What's Real podcast, uh, hit us up on the uh, Twitter, What's Real One um, Pod on Twitter or um, at What's Real Pod at gmail.com and let us know if yeah, uh, anybody listening that, that might know of an app, you know, send us some 
some ideas if, if you're out there. And um, yeah, just to kind of round out the, the convo on the, the collecting and, and the film collecting, hey, you know, um, that's one thing I did. Like I mentioned, it was pretty much keeping all the, the Blu-rays to display in uh, what I have dubbed the pop culture center. Um, that's there in my den that I was describing, but I did keep some of like the more obscure DVDs, you know, to have, to, to have those at hands. Like, like you said, like ones that I knew that I didn't want to put away or store at this time, like, you know, the rare, more rare movies that aren't even available on Blu-ray and things like that. And of course, like the obscure well, dude, wrestling that's, stuff. That's really weird too. Cause that was part of the thing that, uh, James is the dude's name, uh, the angry video game nerd was saying, uh, like the whole part of like the, like how different Blu-rays are like on the shelf. So it's like, you'll have some crazy collection that you couldn't possibly fit with your other Blu-rays and then it fucks up your, you know, your display. And then he was saying too, like, uh, and this is a great point, but like, the most movies that were available on a home format, I, I, a lot of people listening to this might not believe this, but it's absolutely true, and I know you know this, but was VHS. Um, and then DVD came out, and they didn't even release everything that was released on VHS onto DVD, and then it's been even more so the case with Blu-ray. So like every time we go to a new format here, it's like less and less movies uh, that are available to the general population, you know, like the general public. Yeah, like the so 4K is the latest one. And that, because the resolution, I'm sure, because like with film, I guess you can always clean it up and put it on like the latest formats, but it's going to get to a point like, you know, I mean, shit, you know, here at my house, I have VR and 3D, you know, it's like how much crazier can you get? And I know there's 8K around the corner and things like that, but, you know, especially if you're an old school person, like I always say, man, I, I played the original Super Mario Brothers. So like some of these young kids are like, these graphics are terrible. I'm like, motherfucker, I played Super Mario. Like, you know, any, anything's well, dude, better that's... than some, some of the shit that we, we were uh, used to back in the day. I'm just not willing to go in on 4K. I mean, I've seen 4K. I think it's okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not blown away by it at all. Um, I'm not planning on going to that format maybe ever. Yeah, I mean, that's my point. No, I'm not saying I might not do the next one. Yeah. Well, it's just, the fact is, like, it is clear, and I get all that, but, like, I just don't, it doesn't impress me. Like, I, I don't like the way a lot of movies look in 4K, so, and especially, you know me, like, a lot of the older stuff that I like, and a lot of, like cheaply made genre stuff like i don't need to see that shit in 4k and i'm not trying to be that dude like you know i'm i'm with most of the newest technology with stuff i'm fine with that it's not that's not even a question for me it's just the point of like updating all kinds of you know like a tv and the player and everything else just for that bit of clarity is just not worth it for me so i'm i'm more likely to be in on whatever the next format's going to be or if there is going to be one before i would be in on 4k i'm with you completely and i think it just depends on the film too like 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 you're saying if you're Mm -hmm. talking about you know a gritty 42nd street film you don't want it to be all crystal clear and bright and shit you know well you just you you want it to look like like somebody told me this before. The purpose of Blu-ray was for a movie to look like it's on a brand new, freshly struck thirty-five millimeter film. I'm down with that. Right. But if you have to clean it up beyond that, it's like I don't want to see that because that's not what this was ever intended to be. Yep. It's stupid. And then for something like but Star what, Wars or something, you know, you you want that in the the best format you can have. You know. 
and it, of course it makes newer movies look amazing. Like, I understand that completely. But for me at home, what I generally watch at home is... That, that portion of movie watching for me is almost insignificant. Like, it, compared to the older stuff. I'm, I'm generally watching older movies. That's just what I do. Other than, you know, new stuff that comes out that I want to see. But, like, think about this, man. Like, how many movies have you watched in the last two weeks that were, like, new, you never seen them before, and you were, like, they were on your watch list? And then compare that to the other movies that you watch, whether it be watching movies for the show. Uh, you, you know, like I was kicking around on Saturday and I caught Predator on TV. You know what I mean? Like it's always stuff like it's the numbers on that side of things are way higher, at least for me, than they are new movies. And, and especially right now with the pandemic and things not coming out in theaters and everything mm -hmm. is pretty much on demand or through the streaming services, that's mostly what I've watched. Because, you know, two of the newer movies that I've watched recently since we last recorded were um, um, an Andy Samberg, uh, one of his new movies. It came out straight to Hulu. It's called Palm Springs. It's like, a, you know, kind of different take on the gimmick from Groundhog uh, Day. Yeah. I, did you, you said you watched that? Yeah. Cause, dude, I saw the trailer for it, and I was kind of curious. Like, what did you? Is it good? Is it I, worth watching? I liked it. I, I saw, as we always say, it's <laughs> everything nowadays is mixed reviews, really. But I uh, saw a lot of mixed reviews on it. People that liked it, disliked it, hated it, loved it. Um, I was kind of just on the liked it. You know, it's it's, it's one of those ones. Well, you, had, the best way to put it is, it's it's definitely worth worth a watch. You know, it's it's worth the experience. And and if you like Groundhog Day and that sort of thing, you know, with the the day repeating kind of aspect of it. Cause that's what the movie revolves around. It's not a spoiler or anything. That's the whole movie. Yep. Uh, you're going to probably like it more than if you're somebody that obviously doesn't enjoy a movie like that. That's like repeating the same situation kind of thing. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. Cause this is the vibe I got from it. It's a comedy obviously, but it's not like the stupid humor comedy that, uh, Andy Sandberg usually does. It seems like it's more dialed down. Yeah, it has, but it might be funny. It, it's kind of like he's kind of like Sandler in a lot of ways, and it's similar to that. Where like, that's what that's exactly yeah, what I was talking like, about. You know, exactly, certain aspects of his goofiness he brings to it, and things like that. Like like Jim Carrey too. Like they'll they'll sprinkle in their classic kind of stuff. But yep. yet, to your point, it's definitely it, Judd Apatow wasn't involved at all. Um, just a disclaimer that, but it's that, that, but kind, it's of that kind of vibe where, yeah, there's like I life you. lessons, like some serious, it's like a drama, you know, there's definitely a lot of drama sprinkled in with the, the comedy. Um, so yeah, definitely worth checking out. And, um, the other one was on Netflix. I watched the old guard, which is Charlize Theron's new one that was straight to Netflix based on a graphic novel. And, and that was pretty I good didn't too. Watch that. Yeah. But, but again, like the whole point to bring it up within these conversations is like, that's kind of how. My film, you know, the new films that I've been watching are. It's not like you said, looking for for things to add to the collection and get on Blu-ray. It's just watching through the streaming services. That's the same thing here. Like one of the ones that you know, because obviously we talk about. I guess we could talk about this too. I was going to say one of the ones for me that I watch newer stuff on a lot is Shutter. Exactly, uh, because it just it's an it's an outlet for things that I wouldn't have come across otherwise. So I like that, and uh, you know, and to segue over, this is actually some breaking news the day we record, uh, but it was just announced that Shutter has extended Joe Bob Briggs the Last Drive-In for a third season, 
and there's going to be a special, which we knew about already, uh, but it's going to be on, I believe, August 14th, uh, with, and it was taped pre-quarantine, so Adam Green's live in studio, the director of Hatchet and Frozen, uh, but the movies, of course, are still a secret. Um, I'm still holding out because I think it's, uh, they just put them up on Shutter. I noticed, too. I think it's going to be the Maniac Cop movies. Um, I remember you saying that, But I don't, that, yeah. you know... I still think that's what it's going to be. So uh, only time will tell, obviously. I'm sure we'll be doing a little bit of coverage of that whenever that happens and it's, stuff. It's, but, it's really uh, cool. That, but, yeah, I'm definitely happy that that's coming back. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. It's, like, really cool that, that Joe Bob's getting this kind of late career resurgence. Um, he's a dude that both you and I have talked about a lot here on the podcast. We're both obviously big fans of his. We both have personally met him. I actually even personally handed him a copy of one of my films, which which is cool and, and a personal experience. And um, yeah, just really cool to see a, a kind of career resurgence, if you will, with Joe Bob, because let's face it, the last drive-ins like really helping Shutter out as a whole. And yeah. um, the general manager, Craig Angler of Shutter, uh, said recently that the last drive in continues to be a great success story for Shutter. It's trending in the top 10 on Twitter during each live Friday night episode and also driving tremendous on demand viewing. And, um, you know, he goes on to say, We're delighted to bring Joe Bob back for a third season. And that, um, as you alluded to, hey, Ed, they're also planning on these incredibly fun specials that will be announced down the road here. So uh, yeah, breaking news uh, that was announced here today on uh, the Tuesday that we record. And as both you and I being huge fans, man, uh, looking forward to the third season. And as I have said, due to some of the issues I had with my initial um, shutter subscription, I'm still decently behind on the last drive-in and have a handful left. I, I actually just watched, because um, we talked about it, I watched uh, Cannibal Holocaust uh, before when it was on it, but the double feature with that was Dead Heat. I finally just actually got that to uh, today. You know, I put it on in, in the background. Oh, uh, okay. So. You've seen that before, right? Way, such a long time ago. I barely remembered it. So it's a, it's a, it's a Dude, fun movie, man. That's one of those movies that is like universally hated by people. Yeah, he talks about and, that. Like, it just got shit. I don't get it at all. I've always, dude. First off, you know me, uh, and this has been a thing for me forever. I don't like Treat Williams in really anything, um, but I like him in this. Um, I don't really like Joe Piscopo, but I like him in this. Um, and then other than that, it's Vincent Price's last movie role. Yep. Um, there's some amazing creature work in that. There's a I don't know if you like how much you were paying attention when you had it on today, but there's the scene where they they're in like the butcher shop and all the animals yeah, and the, shit the are the Chinese back deli alive. kind of thing. Yeah. Or like the deli yeah, the like the dude, that shit is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that like, huge that's, crazy pig. That is like one of those things. I'm like, how is this movie not like universally loved by like horror movie fans just because of how cool that you know, is? You know what it weirdly it, reminded like me of? All out. It weirdly reminded me of Men in Black. I guess just because like the they kind of just have their own unique kind of creature effects. Because there's that okay, like the first thing that they fight in the morgue, you know, before the first thing happens to treat Williams. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that yep. is like two faces. He's like a big biker thing. Yep. Like pig biker, if you will, but yeah, that kinda, always kind of reminded me of that. That creature weirdly. always stuck out in my mind. Like anytime somebody would bring up Dead Heat, that's one of the first things that, like the 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 visual of that creature, like pops in my head. Because when I saw that movie as a kid, that for some reason really stuck out to me as like, whoa, like this is fucking awesome. You know, and that happens right at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and it, it and then they're like off and running. So well, that's what Joe Bob said. I, I the just problem. Don't, he said the problem with it, in his opinion, was that it was too 
it was almost like too big budget for for the kind of movie it was. They they would have probably been better off with a smaller budget. It was like kind of one of those things because this was like a big Hollywood production of the time. And that's that's the yeah. other aspect. I think the timing of it was bad too. You know, it was probably coming out with with certain uh, competition, and you know, for for when it came out there in the late eighties, it was just kind of well, the it was eighty six like that. Yeah, I mean, so. if you think of eighty six though, it's like there was other shit coming out that was very like you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre two came out that year. The Friday Thirteenth series was still in full swing at that point. Like Part Six came out that year. Like so it seems to be in the vein of that kind of stuff where it's like comedic, but it's gross. And, you know, but, and then this one actually got a few stars. It has some, like Joe Piscopo in 1986 was a star. Yeah. Um, Treat Williams was actually, you know, a really respected actor at that point. You know what I mean? Like he was working on stuff that people were very big on, like critically acclaimed stuff. So it's not like he was working the, the B section quite yet. So I never really understood the hate for it, but uh, that's a whole other, like, yeah, we're really getting off on a yeah, tangent right, on this yeah. yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I th- it was worth bringing up, though, because, um, you know, our, our connection here, what's real with, with the last drive-in, both of us being huge fans. So, um, yeah, we'll round it out by just saying it's – it's uh, we, we knew it was coming, but it's awesome to have the official announcement that season three of the last drive-in is going to be coming out in 2021. Absolutely, man. And still to keep it somewhat horror-related, I thought this was uh, – interesting um but uh, last week uh it was announced that the sequel to the what i guess it was 20 i don't even know what year that came out at this point halloween 2019 uh, the the most 2019's halloween follow-up called halloween kills uh they announced that it was getting pushed to 2021 and they posted a teaser trailer which is really strange but the trailer looked interesting and it's pretty clear that halloween kills uh they're following the same formula that they did with the original two halloween movies where uh the the sequel took place on the same night yeah it just kind of picked up where the first film left off on which i i thought that was really cool um and i mean to me uh it doesn't take a whole lot for this one to be better than the first one because the first one yeah there's a few hiccups in that one that really like just sabotages the entire film. I, I was definitely kind of uh, mixed on it myself. Yeah, very much so, in, in my opinion too. Um, but nonetheless, I, I still think it's interesting that they are coming out with it. I even uh, said to my girlfriend the the day we saw the trailer or whatever, I was like, you know, it sucks for me because like no matter how stupid or bad this looks, I'm gonna fucking see it anyway. Yeah, we're gonna see every uh, Halloween movie that comes out. Yeah, our, it's, our at this point. Yeah, you just kind of have to at this point. Like, so until I'm like really pissed off with one or something, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, like the Rob Zombie ones made me stop going to see them. But once he got out of there, I was fine with it. And crazy Uh, that Danny McBride's one of the writers of these ones. Yeah, absolutely. So, and he's a huge fan of the original. So, I mean, I I get that. At least they respect the material. Yeah, exactly. So, even though the first one wasn't good, um, you know, it could have been like did they you, didn't. It wasn't a complete disaster. Did you notice the cop out they used? Hey, Ed, which I get it. You know, it's a it's a Halloween franchise. In the first movie. one, no, with the teaser trailer, they're they're in the back of the pickup truck, and, and okay. the house is burning down because they locked Michael yep. Myers in the basement. When she's just, yelling at the fire, they're just screaming like, "Don't put it out!" So that's what's going to happen. They're going to go put out the fire, not realizing he's. Oh in yeah, there, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I get. I mean, it, I guess they. It's they kind of wanted to give you an idea of how he was going to come back. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but the but the thing is, though, like, this is just my line of thinking. Like, 
could you at least for once not boil down to just being another typical whore in the movie industry? Like, could you just end it with this one? Yeah, and please. be like that. We did that. Yeah. Like, you know, that's enough. Um, but that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. I'm not naive to that point at all. Uh, but nonetheless, it's something that I'm looking forward to, but um, we're going to have to wait a while, uh, which is understandable, uh, because they're going to hold out for 2021 in the hopes that they'll be able to release it theatrically, which they obviously can't do right now. Yeah, because that's with, with the Rob Zombie ones, hey, Ed, um, how many total Halloweens is that? Because there was, what, six, six in the original franchise? Then there was H2O, um, right? It would be seven. Yes. Because the one with Rudd, six. Ten? Wow. I that's just crazy. But, but yeah, to your point, that's why they keep doing them because um, the the reboot here, um, you know, call it Danny McBride's Halloween version, uh, was a huge success at the box office, of course. So that's why you're getting a sequel and why there's they're in the double digits <laughs> with Halloween yeah. reincarnations it, it, here. It, they're just going to keep doing it. I mean, yeah. it's it's the, it's the same thing with all money. of them. That's the bottom line. If it doesn't uh, make money, the, they'd stop. Like, all of those franchises are active. Like, they've basically run Texas Chainsaw Massacre into the ground at this point. Yeah. Uh, but trust me, they're going to do another one eventually. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's been very quiet since the shitty 2010 remake. Dude, we are 10 years after that. They're going to do another yeah, one. Yeah, they were talking about and Kevin Bacon. The 13th, you hear about that? Yeah, that's so stupid. It's like, could you just please just do it with the goddamn guy that made the character famous until (laughs) he can't do it anymore and then move on or don't, like, make them anymore? Like, it's stupid. But it just shows you, like, they'll keep something tucked away for a while and then see what they can get away with because the gener- it's for a different generation. It's not for me and you. The ones for me and you are the ones we've already seen. Um, And plus, you know... It sucks, and I wish they'd quit doing it, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't ruin the originals. You know, you yeah, still got yeah. them. If you still love those, you can still love them with this, exactly. so it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, also, uh, a lot of stuff in the world of professional football this past week. Uh, obviously, we mentioned last week the gigantic deal that Patrick Mahomes uh, signed with the Chiefs. Uh, this was pretty crazy, but on HBO's The Shop, Uh, he apparently mentioned that he didn't learn how to read defenses until 2018. So my, my statement on this is if this dude has yet to learn how to read defenses, boy, is everybody fucked once he figures that out. Jesus. Yeah. Cause he's known to have that, the quote unquote playground play style, you know, like improvising and, and running around doing what he does. So yeah, when he becomes a more technical and, and kind of like, you know, head head kind of quarterback. You know, like the intellectual side of the game. He he's going to be a, a double threat, and that's saying a lot considering, like we discussed last week, bringing up his contract. That he's probably the most electric player in the NFL right now, the MVP, and coming off face uh, the league. Yeah, as the Super Bowl champion. So yeah, it's pretty scary for NFL defenses that are facing the Chiefs. And it was also announced too because this is the the numbers for this have been coming out left and right. Uh, but Madden twenty twenty one is going to be coming out uh, just here in a little over a month or so. And uh, it was announced that uh, Mahomes is the 
first quarterback or the first player to be announced to be a 99, which doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, I can't argue um, that. I did see, uh, and I mentioned this to you real quick, too. I saw the other day on ESPN a uh, live interview with uh, Lamar Jackson from the Ravens, and I watched on live television as he got super pissed off when they told him he was a 94 and was the third overall-ranked quarterback on the game. Um, and keep in mind, too, that they update the ratings weekly once the game comes out. So, yeah, like, it's, it's a really stupid thing for guys to get pissed off about, but it's funny to me. Yeah. This day and age, man, with Twitter and, like, you know, the freaking president of the United States is on Twitter and stuff. Like, you really get to see, like, us growing up in the 80s, man, like, Michael Jordan and people like that were, like, such larger than life. You don't even consider them humans. And here we are in yep. 2020, and you just get to see everybody's blemishes, even, like, the larger than life athletes and stuff. And, and like, you know, last week we were talking about, um, you know, or a few weeks ago, even in like pro wrestling and you're, when you're watching the last ride with the undertaker and like, you see that the undertaker lost his confidence. And there was that famous story about Ric Flair explaining how he lost his confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and just like to your point with Lamar Jackson and he's like pissed that he's not higher than 94 and he's mad that he's the third ranked quarterback. And, and there's definitely two sides to it because that's why some of these guys are so good of course, because they are that ultra competitive, which puts them, you know, to where they're at. But, but nonetheless, it is unique um, also to see like that these guys have, you know, the same confidence issues than that quote unquote normal people like me or you, Hey Ed, can have. Like it's oh, pretty funny. Although. I, I wholeheartedly am – there's a player out there who doesn't realize it, but he could easily become my favorite player in the whole league. If he goes on ESPN and they're like, oh, you're ranked an 88 on Madden. What do you think about that? And he's like, I don't give a fuck. It's a video game. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. The first dude to do that is my automatic favorite player in the league. <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent. It's like who gives a shit? It's a video game. People, you can fucking bust my balls about my rating on a video game when we beat you by forty in the playoffs. How about yeah. that? Yep, that's why I always said like, like doing the movie thing. It's like, oh, you know, you, you sucked in that movie, Jared. It's like, dude, I'm just happy I'm in a fucking movie. You know that you can see. Well, yeah, that it's to like me, okay, you know? let let me show me all the movies that you starred in. Fuckface. Yeah, exactly. Like that's yeah. just what it comes down to. It's not like. I get it. Like you're the type of person that actually gives a shit about, you know, your performance yeah, and something you're competitive, like that. But there's it, two sides to but it. But yeah, of course, the, at the end of the day, it's a video game. And, and we talked about it. Um, e E60 did a um, piece last year on the guy that comes up with these ratings, and it's one guy. You know, it's one guy's yeah. opinion. He works really hard at it. it. Like you said, hey Ed, he's like one of the most like critically panned people on planet Earth because these athletes like they know him when he shows up and stuff. Like they showed that footage; it's hilarious. Oh, could you imagine? I mean, which it's the same way too. Oh, like, I wouldn't want that responsibility. That. But it's like, dude, you show up to a practice just to like do your job, and guys are like, what the fuck, man? I'm an 86. Yeah. This is bullshit. And I'm like, this dude. It's like this is just a normal guy. And it's like, yeah, right after something like he's like, well, I just got threatened with bodily harm by a dude that's six, seven, three hundred and forty pounds, and I'm a fucking computer tech. Like <laughs> this dude literally wants to rip my fucking head off over Madden. By the way, did you see what uh, Joe Burrow's rating was? Which you know, as a rookie coming in, you know, I get it. Uh, but just uh, just get, guess what percentile he's in? You know, from ninety down. Damn, uh, I'll say because I think obviously he's coming out of college, so he's going to be higher than he should be because they're basing it off that. I'll say an eighty-nine. He's a seventy-six. 
Wow, are you so serious? Was, yeah, that's why I brought it up because I was surprised by seeing that. But hey, Burrow Dude, ain't know, bitching. Be, He's probably just happy to be in the NFL. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you too. Like I don't, you know, this is all hypothetical, obviously too. But like, you know what I think would have been a solid rating out of the box for him? Eighty. Eighty. Yep. Yeah, that's what I was, it's that's like what I was your team's probably going to hold you back, but it's you know it's not your problem. And it, here's the funny thing too with Madden. Like, whenever you first get mad, like, I always do the same thing where I just play my season with the Steelers. And then from there, I do goofy shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's like, but you realize, like, once you have the hang of Madden, it's like, dude, I could I could win the Super Bowl with a quarterback. It's a 76, no problem. And he'll, he'll lead the league in passing and everything else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll have the dude up to, like, a 90. Like, a bur- like if I started a franchise with them, my second season in it, Burrow would be, like, an 87. Yep. You know, it's funny. That's but, how man works. You know, yeah. And I will say this, though. Uh, I'm really – I look forward to it every year, but I'm really looking forward to Madden this year because I honestly think it's the only football we're going to have That's this what season. I was going to say, yeah, because we're sports-hungry, man. So any little taste of sports, uh, I'm, I'm right with you, man. I might get, like, every every sports game this year just because of that. You know, the NHL game, Dude, 2K, NBA can I 2K. Just, how familiar are you with 2K basketball? The last, the last one I played was, like, 17, I think, was the last one I had. Okay. So I got this year's. I got it on sale, um, like when the Rona stuff first started. So right, I started yeah, I playing you it. Me. Yeah. Dude, I'm super impressed with it because it's they've made it in a way where it's not, like everything's not a gimme. So like all the little intricacies of basketball, there's like a game around it. So you have to learn how to do stuff, and like you can hit the shot meter like all the way up and still miss a shot. A lot of it has to do with the the player, where you're shooting from. Like they worked a lot more intricacies into of basketball into the actual game. And dude, I can't believe how much better it is. Like I'm hooked. It's yeah, it's a it's great really cool. game. It's up there with Madden. I would easily buy it next year again, knowing what I know about the game now. I think they fixed the bugs out of the basketball game that make it so it just it's like boring. They fixed that completely. Did you see the um the announcements for 2K21? I did, but I forget off off the top of my head what they were. I, I seen a well, ton of stuff about it one day. Kobe's the cover athlete, so that's really cool. Yeah. And there's a couple different And there's covers. another one and too, right? They they yeah, and they also they also chalked in on uh, an additional $10. So this year brand new, it's going to be a $70 game. And that's ridiculous. It's justified, I guess, because it's what I think a lot of games are going to be doing. Because of the technology and coinciding with the releases of the next generation of consoles, a lot of these okay. games that are going to come out for PS4, you can upgrade for free for PS5. So that's, oh. I think, how they're justifying it. You know, like Madden okay. is the same way. I don't know what the price is, if, if it's going to be the same, but it, I know okay. it's the same way where if you buy Madden for PS4, you can upgrade hey. it for free for, for PS5. So. Uh, I'm not too mad about that because I'm I'm happily a person that will just not get it on release date. I'll wait a little bit. Yeah, right. That. You can be patient. I, it's different with other games. Like I think, like when a brand new, like say, like a brand new Resident Evil comes out, let's just say, like you're gonna want to get that on release date. You know what I mean? But like the sports games, like they're new, but like they're basically new for a year. So 
if you don't get it on re- like that I've done that even in the past where like I buy a lot of sports games so I might want the newest basketball game but when the season starts I'm not really into it yet so I hold off and wait, yeah, wait and buy it like a month movie. later yep. and then you get it for a better price so I mean that's just exactly what I'll do with them if that's the the situation um, hopefully it and this is the one thing that disappoints me uh, with all this stuff and I think they're missing the market on it too is the games should be, you know, like say that you just said the game price is 70 bucks, right? All the time, no matter what, I should be able to go on the PlayStation Store and download it for 50 because I'm not getting anything. Like, I'm getting the game, but I'm not getting the packaging. That's, I'm not getting the stuff that creates the overhead cost for the company. Exactly. So why do I have to pay it for a fucking download? It's stupid. That's why I don't usually buy digital. I have a handful of digital games. But you know me, dude. I have my system with, with GameStop yeah. or, or even Best Buy where I sell back my games because I know – you know, I'm not going to replay them anytime soon and things like that. There's different games that I do keep, like the classics and things. But for the most part, I have like a system where I at least get the, the new game for half, half off by turning in two sem- semi-newer games, you know. And and while, while we're on the topic, hey, Ed, a, a game I brought up to you that I'm, I have pre-ordered that I'm picking up Friday is a game um, from a, a developer called Sucker Punch called Ghost of Tashima, which is uh, direct to PlayStation 4, or should I say a PlayStation 4 exclusive, but it's basically okay. an open world samurai game. And they have a couple of trailers for it that they kind of based around, like kind of inspired by um, Kurosawa films. So yeah. I know there's a couple friends um, that listen to the podcast that, that like our gaming talk uh, sometimes because they don't get that from a lot of different places. So, um, you know, shout out there to any of our, our fellow gamer friends, um, that know about ghost of Tashima, but we got to talk about that when I start dipping into that, but I I love the world of the samurai and things. So that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up and mention it. Um, and why I'm really looking forward to it. And it's been in development for a long time. So, uh, comes out this Friday, but, uh, I'll keep everybody posted on that, but wanted to shout out that game because it looks really, really good. Yeah, and I had zero interest in that at all. I didn't even know what it was until you brought it up, but it does sound fucking awesome. So yeah, I'm definitely going to look into that one myself. Yeah, you check out nuts because I know uh, you like uh, Kurosawa and Samurai stuff as well. So Absolutely. Um, also, too, uh, real quick, I wanted to mention this. Uh, in the world of wrestling, we had some news. Uh, it came out this past week that uh, Rusev has coronavirus. Uh, formerly Rusev, I should say. And also Evil. Uh, in the world of New Japan, upsets NATO to win the IWGP championship. So he is now the IWGP champion and Double intercontinental champ. champion at the yeah. same time. And it really, like, fans of New Japan are going ape shit over it. So it's a major, major deal. Um, and uh, obviously, a little bit later on the show, if you guys follow everything we've been doing here, we're going to talk a little bit about the second night of AEW Fighter Fest as well. So stay tuned on the show for that. Um, but yeah, these are two, like, major things in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, obviously, I think the uh, coronavirus stuff is is going to be ongoing. And I don't know if you saw this. I thought this was pretty interesting too. Um, but you know how the WWE changed their mask policy, where like they have the fines and stuff instituted for the people that don't wear them. Uh, but uh, the reason why they instituted that change uh, it was because of Kevin Owens, because um, he said he you know he told Vince that he wasn't planning on coming back. And when Vince asked him why, he said, "Well, because I'm not comfortable with no masks and." how close everybody is. And he apparently sat down with Kevin Owens and asked him what he thought about it. And, um, and I guess Owens convinced him. So now because yeah, Owens, we mentioned know, it on the podcast. He lost a family member to COVID yeah, uh, on his wife, wife's yeah. side. So, 
So that's cool. I mean, I and I give McMahon credit for listening to him and stuff. I do too. And, and uh, you know, I think that's an important thing, you know, obviously for them to be doing at this point. Or any wrestling company that's running at this point should be listening to your talent and, uh, you know, taking their words seriously because they're the ones putting themselves and their families at risk for your company and for the fans' entertainment. So, obviously, uh that's nice to see. So hopefully, especially, that especially the too. WWE, as we discussed, because they've they've had in double digits Corona positives, and they, and they still yep. have like again not to go into something we've already thoroughly discussed, but they have like guys like Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler still coming in there when you know. Um, and I don't even think we mentioned on the show, hey Ed, but the one uh, backstage interviewer uh, is it Kyla? Okay, oh, Kayla Braxton. Yeah, Kayla she's Braxton. Had she had it. She's had it twice. I'd be like, dude, I'm, That's I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be out. It's like, dude, I'll see you when there's a vaccine. Sorry, but I'm not kidding. Like, how many times do I need to catch this? Like, Jesus right. Christ, enough's enough. Um, but also, too, kind of piggybacking off of uh, that, uh, this has been a really bad week for celebrities. Uh, there's a few that has passed away. Uh, Elvis's 27-year-old grandson passed away this past week. Uh, we saw Naya Rivera uh, was found uh, after she was, you know, considered missing, swimming in a lake. You may know her from the television show Glee. And Kelly Preston, the wife of John Travolta and actress herself, uh, passes away at age 57 from breast cancer. So that's pretty unfortunate, and that's a lot for one week, too, man. Oh, man, 2020, the hits keep on coming, dude. We're just losing. I mean, we've had personal loss that we've thoroughly been over during our podcast run here, and just a lot of celebrities, you know, week in and week out. And, th- you know, this one's really sad um, as far as Kelly Preston. I didn't know too much about uh, Nea Rivera because I don't watch Glee. It's still a super sad story, of course. Um, kind of coinciding weirdly with um, the the professional wrestler, um Chad oh, Gaspar that, yeah. that passed away that, that we I have a personal connection with that we we talked about but you know weird that you know two celebrity drownings within a few months and um, you know Kelly Preston though uh, being a big Schwarzenegger fan uh, loving the movie Twins, Twins I was like in love with her and that um, you know she played his Schwarzenegger's love interest and of course the famous scene from Jerry Maguire she's fucking Tom Cruise never stop fucking me <laughs> what a yeah. great dude I didn't line. even. I don't even remember hearing anything about her being sick. Yeah, that was the thing. That was a huge surprise because she's been battling breast cancer for, for two years. And, uh, of course, John Travolta put out a, a very heartfelt statement. And, uh, you know, however you feel about John Travolta and certain aspects of, of their family and stuff, it's still a, a very tragic thing. And, you know, 50-some years old in 2020s, still very, very young, you know, when – in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, rest in peace to Elvis's grandson, Naya Rivera and Kelly Preston here from the, the what's real podcast thoughts and prayers out to everybody um, in, involved in those deaths, family and friends, just, uh, you know, really, really rough this year with, with some of our losses. Man. Yeah, totally agree there. And uh, on to some better news. Um, obviously we thought we would be able to give you the actual name at this point, but we don't have it. Um, but the NFL Washington franchise is officially retiring their name and their mascot and images and everything. So uh, they will have a completely new name 
uh, by the time they are back on the field, which I say, thankfully, uh, it's about time. So that's a good thing. And uh, it's nice to see uh, they're doing so, even though probably for the wrong reasons, as they've had a bunch of uh, advertisers pull out. Amazon refused to sell their merchandise at this point, so they kind of got strong-armed into doing it. Um, But I thought it was kind of lousy because I saw that um, the one thing that they announced immediately was that the Native American iconography uh, is gone from the team. So whatever they do, uh, they're not going to even be doing a tribute to any Native Americans or anything like that. They're going to completely change it altogether, which I think is a little unfortunate because I think we mentioned it before on the show. I, I thought the move to make was to calling, calling themselves the Washington Natives and just keeping the images and everything the same because there's really nothing wrong with them. Right. It's It's just that racist terminology of course that we discussed last mm-hmm. week but yeah breaking news a week later it's it's good that it's official and um we had said dude it, it would have been announced by now and we could have talked about the the name and possible logo and things but um was it a guy from the uk but there was a guy that copyrighted a ton of the names that they were throwing around for possible uh, name replacements and it put a um wrench in them officially naming the team and moving forward with everything yeah, yeah, that's, I don't know if the guy's that from the UK or not, it might be, but yeah, it's definitely thrown a monkey wrench into their plans, and it's definitely causing a delay uh, in the choice of their new name, um, but obviously here on the show, we'll have the, any updates that we get for you guys, I'm sure you might even hear about them before we get them to you, but uh, still doesn't uh, stop us from giving our opinions on them, so stay tuned for that in the up- upcoming weeks for sure. Um, We have a great show for you guys this week, as we do every week. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about the AEW Fighter Fest Night 2. Also, we're going to do uh, days 16 of 23 of the 30 Days of Movies Challenge. And Thursday Night Prime this week has The Dangerous from 1995 with Robert Davey and Michael Pere. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break here on the show. And when we come back, we're going to talk some AEW Fighter Fest. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is The J with the What's Real Podcast for Churchill Pictures. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The founders began working on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. View it today from the link on churchillpictures.com. Through the years, Churchill Pictures have put together a number of short films and comedy sketches, as well as documentaries, all of which can be viewed on the website. In 2016, the co-owners embarked on another feature film project, The Unsung, a production that united a group of talented filmmakers who delivered the project on time and under budget. Currently available digitally through a direct link at churchillpictures.com, The Unsung continues to help move Churchill Pictures forward in 2020 as pre-production begins for the next feature film project, a four-part documentary story of a territory wrestling league in the mid-1980s entitled The Marks. Check us out at churchillpictures.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Churchill Pictures, picture the possibilities. Hey everyone, this is The J from the What's Real Podcast, here to talk about the independent feature film The Unsung from Churchill Pictures and Cut and Run Studios. In an old industrial town, a homeless man, Eric, roams the streets looking for a place to rest when a young girl, Samara, is in danger. He runs to her aid and saves her from harm. She leads him to a homeless village where he is inspired by the friendships he makes there. Through newspapers and a radio, Eric learns about a series of murders taking place in town. 
Inspired by the comic books he reads, Eric creates an alter ego and attempts to get involved with the investigation. The Unsung has not been rated by the MPAA, but is basically a PG-13 rating. The film contains mild blood and violence, some crude humor, and some scary images. The Unsung is now available to own. Churchill Pictures is proud to announce our distribution partnership with Bayview Entertainment. The first step of this process is that the film is now available to own digitally, exclusively through Vimeo.com or a direct link through ChurchillPictures.com. Rent the film today, streaming for $1.99 and also available to own the stream for $15. Please help share and spread the word. The Unsung, Hope Lives in the Shadows. Check us out at TheUnsungMovie.com, ChurchillPictures.com, or Vimeo.com. And we're back here on the show, and as I already mentioned before we went to break, it is time to get into night two of AEW's Fighter Fest. Uh, we had a pretty good night of action. There were six matches in all. Uh, let's just get started with the opener, which I was kind of surprised that this started off the show. Uh, was uh, 11 and a half minute for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Uh, was the tag team matchup where we saw Kenny Omega and Adam Page retain their tag titles against Private Party, um, who was with Matt Hardy. And uh, this one was pretty good. I mean, for 11 and a half minutes, man, these dudes had their working boots on. I even texted you during the show. Yeah. It's like, yo, and so that opener, exactly. man, these dudes are, whew, they're going nuts. Yeah, it was it was like so fast paced that you know, like you mentioned, it was like ten, eleven minutes. It felt like it was five minutes, you know. Yeah, because <laughs> it was just yep. so so fast paced. But yeah, really, really good opener. Um, I think last week because they they kind of changed the um, the formats from like what they announced, so it kind of th- throws us off. Because as as we disclosed last week, obviously we're a bit behind on AEW because of when we record, and we have e- had even said that um, in our our last podcast that this was going to be the main event, you know, and it was the opener. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm not complaining, man. As we always say, it takes us back to the nostalgia days of old when most shows were known to have really strong openers like this, fast paced and everything. So yep. I was going nuts. I mean, one of the, the notes I made, like I always put my favorite spots, try to bring it up, was the rolling tornado DDT onto the ramp. Yeah, they were doing by that Cassidy. Thing. I was like, yeah. holy shit. Dude, they, so. they were doing crazy shit in this match like there's this little section where they were doing this over the back thing to the that outside with adam page yeah it was like out of nowhere like dude what is happening like that's the thing about adam page like i i really do like adam page i'm a fan and it's like with kenny omega you know like kenny omega is pretty much the same way all the time like sometimes he takes it up a few levels but kenny omega is essentially kenny omega Adam Page, it depends on who he's wrestling, on what he's doing, but, like, he, out of nowhere, like, whenever he gets in there with the right people, he'll just start breaking on all kinds of crazy high spots. He and adapts he's really well. good at them. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of the dudes that I give credit to in the ring because I feel like he can work, like, multiple different styles. He's good at all of them. Like, for a dude his age and stuff, like, I think Adam Page is going to be like one of the main dudes in wrestling like over the next decade as long as he doesn't get hurt or anything like that uh but like I think Adam Page is like he's like one of my favorite guys that AEW has for sure and that was that's the thing about private party too because of the way they work they can be a bit botchy but when they mm-hmm. are on it's a match like this where it's just like yep. man they're hitting everything they're flowing so so yeah really really good opener man got me got me into the mood right away oh. that this was going to be a good show 
and because I don't think we've ever brought it up specifically on the show before, but dude, uh, Omega and Page's finishers, fucking yeah, the last call, love the last call. Oh man, where he does like the flipping clothesline because they just like crumble. The The opponent just like drop. It's it's almost kind of like how. a total elimination was to me. It, the yep. dudes don't take the same kind of bump, but it's that type of like it's a quick impact. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That, that's like, why I love the bump because they just like crush the opponent and they just crumble. They just like you know, yeah, they, they'd have that crumble cell kind of thing, you know. W- which is cool too because if oh, you I think about it, it this way, you you take a finisher. Like, I'm talking about even for the dude that takes it. Like you take a finisher and like you're not really taking like a crazy bump or nothing. You're yeah, just exactly. Falling. Yeah, it's all in your cell. Yeah, just making it. Look and it good. looks great. You're so. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that was a really good way to open up the show. Uh, the second match of the night was one that I really was not looking forward to, and I'll explain myself here in detail in a moment. We got a 11 minute and 17 second matchup, uh, which saw Lance Archer go on to defeat Joey Janela. Um, I thought they built this up kind of cool, but as I mentioned here uh, last week, I'm not the biggest Lance Archer fan, uh, but I was actually pleasantly surprised by this match. Him and Joey Janela worked together way better than I thought they would, and uh, I actually like Joey Janela a lot, and I think he gets to be, like, people kind of unnecessarily shit on him for what he is, and I actually like him a lot, and uh, I was kind of impressed here because I didn't think... Uh, it was really in his wheelhouse to work with a guy like Lance Archer, who's significantly bigger than him. But he really didn't have a problem. And, like, the crazy persona that they give uh, Janela and AEW uh, kind of worked out in this match. You know what I mean? It's like, you're the bigger dude, but I'm fucking crazy. So uh, the dynamic worked out really good, and it ended up being a way better match than I expected. I really like Joey Janela. He's, he's unique, man. That's what you have to be to stand out in professional wrestling. I like this new... Um Pairing with Sunny Kiss, so I think do they I. Work well together, yeah. Me it's, too. You know, it's that odd couple, of course, kind of thing. But they have good chemistry, which you need. And I think that I think works. That it's it, it's probably a case too where like those two dudes like have probably worked a lot of shows together. They probably know each other well, and they probably like each other in real life. So like exactly. whenever you get them on the screen, they play off each other very well. It works. There was that that gas station thing they did, like beating goofs up in the gas station. It was it was pretty funny. Even, like the week before. Do you remember? Do you remember the first week that anything happened? It was like kind of like Janela was out, like running around town, being like a lunatic, and then was like stuck without a ride, and then just runs into Sunny Kiss, who's they, driving. Yeah, exactly. like, you need a ride, and it's like <laughs> yeah, sure. That's how they got. And that's how they became friends. Like, yeah, it's cool. I like it's, it. Yeah, it's been a cool storyline. And um, the the finish I, I had mentioned to you, I think I either texted you or we talked about it. Was that was awesome. Uh, Lance Archer does uh, his move, the blackout, which is this crazy kind of razor's edge type move uh, off the ring through a table to Joey Janela. And, and I like that, too. I like those kind of finishes like the WWE never did it. ECW would even do it every once in a while where there's like that big, huge spot and WWE will do like a um, false finish with it. I like the straight up cover for the pin, which they do here. You know, because I well, guess like the WWE's excuse is like it takes a bit of time for even though it's such a big bump to get the guy back into the ring. And that's why it's a false finish. But I mean, it's like, dude, he was done because he even like bounced his head off the uh, the table a couple times to Joey oh, you know, to add I to see, it. I got I, you. I, I just like that where it's like that. That was just the finish where he doesn't like kick out and they like, you know, do something else. It was like, dude, he got destroyed. Well, that's see, that's a thing that like I know we've always kind of been similar thinking on this with booking. 
But it's like, okay, they always do booking to protect somebody, which is fine. There's a reason for it. And usually what they do is like a false finish or a DQ or a run-in or something like and that. And that's something that fans a lot of times will be rolling their eyes at. It just kind of sucks because it's overdone. Or the worst is the, the music distraction where music comes on and dude's like paying attention to somebody that's supposed to be coming out and then they just get rolled up from behind. The like that sucks. Exactly. And I always think that they miss out. And AEW does this, which makes me like them, is they understand that a guy can lose a match where he gets pinned or whatever, but instead of doing a bullshit finish to protect them, you protect them by having them take this crazy move. And it's like the idea of anybody can lose at any given moment if the you know, if the move is great enough. So it doesn't make the guy look like shit because it's like, well, dude, you couldn't just beat me with your finisher. You had to like do this crazy move through a table to like destroy me. And I'm here I am and I'm coming back to fight the next week. So it actually, it's a finish that a dude can lose and look strong and still be able to stay in a feud and not have his status diminished by just a simple pinfall or a stupid DQ that like just basically makes you uninterested in the feud. It's, it's the classic you could count to 100 finish. You know, just mm-hmm. like he's like you could count to 100. It's not even a three count. Like and it's, and and it's like. the kind of move that's like ain't no shame in losing to that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I'm you know. You, man. It's a smart way of doing it. And and I think and that's something too, let's be honest here. Like AEW really doesn't need to protect Joey Janela at this point. He's lost enough matches. Especially against Lance Archer, but still, yeah. But they still thought it was important to do because Joey's also doing this new angle and shit with Sonny. So it doesn't diminish him that bad. And plus, I don't even know if Lance Archer's lost a match yet in AEW. I don't think so. And if he has, it's been one. So no, he, uh, yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't think he has either. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty good. And then next up was the eight man tag match, the match that me and you both said was going to steal the show, and it pretty much did. It was about <laughs> yeah. sixteen and a half minutes. We saw the Butcher, the Blade, and the Lucha Bros uh, defeated uh, FTR and the Young Bucks. And whoa, man, these dudes were going ape shit. You had FTR formerly known as The Revival, was out there wrestling, doing fucking high spots, and goddamn Lucha Bros are just fucking annihilate. Dude, the Lucha Bros are probably the best tag team in the world. Oh, dude, and- Ray did the um, the fucking Canadian Destroyer to the outside on everybody. Off the apron on top of seven <laughs> yeah. dudes. Like, that was like, what is happening here? They just, no fucks are given, and everybody's just going balls out. And that's actually the reason why, like, if you listen to the show last week when we were saying, like, how good of a match that was going to be, that's why. Because it's like, if you get eight dudes in there, they have the ability to go do shit like that, and they just fucking ripped it up. That match was awesome. Yeah, it was great, man. Um, I, I think the timing was perfect, you know, like the 15 to 20 minute range was like, you know, just shy of 16 minutes, or, or like you said. Um, and it, this was just like the opener where it, at almost 16 minutes, it just flew by and you just wanted more. And, and like like we always say, man, leave you wanting more. Those are the best kind of things in entertainment. So um, and, it, and it cracks me up that uh, I think it's Pentagon that does it. The, the uh, you are dead driver. <laughs> Which oh I, yeah, it's like yeah, the first yeah. time I heard that name, so that was funny. But yeah, man, fucking amazing match. And you know, it was we, we called it, but every once in a while, if the chemistry's not there or something's off, you know, that works. But luckily, it wasn't. And um, 
you know, this was probably for me the match of the night. You know, especially with the storytelling involved too, with the big spot. Yeah. You know? No, I I totally agree. This is probably the match of the night for me as well. Um, this is an example, and this is something that I give AEW a lot of credit for, uh, especially with the addition of FTR too. Uh, even before they got there, I would have said this, but like, man, their tag team division in AEW is fucking deep right now. Yeah. Like, re- they, like, they said that talking they said like, at the outset that they were going to build up their tag division. So, dude, standing by their work I mean, with that. This is four tag teams right here. Add in Page and Omega. Add in Private Party. You know, like that's seven teams right there, dude. And best friends is eight. And I like, feel like the, the Butcher and the Blade were a pleasant surprise because they're like really yeah. good heels, and they they seem to be on every week because they fit well into the cards. You know. Yep, and they're doing a good job working with these other teams. Exactly. In a situation where yeah, ultimately they're kinda if they weren't. Dude, if they weren't good, they'd be getting really overshadowed. Exactly. They're they're doing a good job sticking in there with some of the best tag teams in the world, Uh, especially in this match. They 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 were featured. You could tell, like everybody knew knows the other three teams already. So like the other three teams thought it was a good idea to give them some time in the ring, and they did, and they did a really good job. So yeah, definitely the match of the night in my opinion. And uh, it. What would you give that out of five stars, Hale? Um, like three and a half area, yeah, like maybe four. Like three and a half, four. Yep. I'd probably have to watch it again to be able to give you an accurate one, but yeah, that's kind of where I would stand with that one. It was a lot of fun. It's funny um, when we were talking about it. I was, I honestly, God, was thinking like, I gotta, I want to watch this again. Yeah, same here. Like, I'll definitely watch that again. Like, I'm that's a mood. Like, I, I'm in a mood to watch matches like that a lot. So, yeah. and it just flies by. It's, it, I, that's like a meal match. You know what I mean? Like if you're sitting down one night to like eat a sandwich or something, it's like throw yeah, that match on. on. By the time yep. you're done eating, it's 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 over with. Uh, and perfect timing on the show because next up we got a two minute and ten second handicap match between Nyla Rose and because they're not in the company, we're just gonna call them Florida Trash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, th- this match was awful. Uh, Nyla Rose is still pretty bad. Um, whatever, it's just a two minute squash. Yeah, that's how I felt. This was one of those ones that I look up and it's over, and I realized I was playing on my phone the whole time. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. Uh, (laughs) So let's just move right along. Next up was a six-man tag match that lasted about 11 and a half minutes uh, with Colt Cabana and the Dark Order, specifically Stu Grayson and Brody Lee, defeated SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky, uh, which doesn't really surprise me a whole lot. And there was one thing I wanted to mention uh, that they, they said on commentary during the match that made me very happy. Um... I think Scorpio Sky is kind of getting misused here, uh, being saddled with SoCal, because I think he's really good. And they did that thing when AEW first started where he was getting kind of a little push that has since gotten kind of just thrown to the wayside. Um, but they did say on commentary, they were like, you know, SoCal Uncensored recently said that uh, they're going to have Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian uh, focus on tag team wrestling and Scorpio Sky is going to focus on singles matches. And I thought that was really cool because I hope that means that Scorpio Sky is in for a push because the dude's one of the better dudes in the entire company. And uh, him being saddled in like a six-man situation at this point is like beneath him. So I, I would I like to see him get a push. Yeah, he needs to be pushed and, and kind of get away from that. Because, um, dude, look, I mean, Kazarian and uh, Daniels obviously have been around for forever, and I respect Another tag team, by the way. 
Yeah, uh, to add to the list. And Dark uh, Order, you could throw them in there too. So like AW, we just named ten teams yeah. that they have that are all pretty good. Like loaded tag division, man. That's for sure. Absolutely. And and I like the storyline here with the Dark Order and Colt and like teasing and yeah, Colt's you know, he's he's good in that role, obviously, of like being like kind of overwhelmed with the situation, kind of taking it all in, Lee's manipulating him and everything. So Yeah. You know, another 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 solid match, man. Yeah, it's, it was okay. A, uh, a good pace show. This was like the storyline match of the night. You know what I mean? They weren't exactly. in there trying to tear the house down. It was just to do the, the storyline stuff with Colt Cabana and the Dark Order, which I didn't have a problem with. Uh, and next up is the main event, uh, which was an 18-minute match, which saw Chris Jericho with Santana and Ortiz defeat Orange Cassidy with the best friends, in, which was probably, other than the eight-man, probably my favorite match of the night. It was it was um, damn close, man. I'd go with the eight-man just because of what they pulled off, but this was great. Because like, this, this was one of those all-around matches with the storytelling and all the spots yep. and the build-up from Jericho. So and I, you got I to really see enjoyed this. Kind of what we talked about last week where you got to see more of that serious side of Orange Cassidy, which I like because it's like, you know, it is a hard sell of a character like that. Like, how does anybody take them seriously? But then whenever you do things like this and Jericho's smart enough to work a match like this with the guy, um, it helps him get over further. It helps his credibility, even though he lost the match. He hung for almost 20 minutes with Jericho in the main event. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really good thing. And I, I only think it's gonna gonna help him. Uh, he's a guy that that is legitimately, in my eyes, uh, someone that could be a star for the company, uh, especially if they use him in you know interesting storylines and they always kind of feature him, which they do. Um, you know, I'm all for it, man. Uh, this was a really really fun match, and it was a really good way to cap off a, a really really good night of wrestling overall. I was really impressed. Night one was okay; like I enjoyed the show. Night two, oh, I this thought, was, was, was yeah. a few notches up. Yep, and, and even like the middle part with like the Nyla Rose stuff, because it kind of takes you down at least, kind of like in a weird way helped yep. help the pacing, you know, to to yep. this main event. And, and like I told you, hey Ed, I love the Judas effect. I mean, Jericho is so good with evolving, and like that's a perfect finisher for him. And he just mm-hmm. hits it out of nowhere, and I, I love the end of it. You know, of course, uh, giving Cassidy like the. The, the, the kind of comeback and it looked like maybe they're going to give him the upset, but I'm, I'm fine with how they ended it. Uh, like you said, it still puts him over um, just for him to be in the main event picture, you know, out of, out of nowhere, the orange Cassidy character. But I think that character can go a long way. Cause everybody likes like the kind of, you know, fuck, fuck, whatever, like laid back yeah. kind of guy, you it's know, a, so. it's, a, you know what it is. It's, this is really weird, but it's like, he's the opposite stone cold. Right. Yeah. Like he's the and at the end though they guy, they're both dudes like, that whatever. yeah they don't give a shit what you think at the end of the day yep. exactly yep and it's two different ways of doing the same type of thing which I think is interesting right. and I'm not saying he's as good as Stone Cold don't get me twisted there it's just the gimmick is an opposite it's comparable Stone Cold. with with yeah the the kind of end of of how they are kind of it's like a the, different way of being like. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I thought what they were trying to, like what they set out to do with the match, they were definitely successful. Um, Obviously, Jericho got the win, which is, you know, fine for him. And and like I said before, you know, Orange Cassidy being able to hang 18 minutes with uh, the guy that's the the former champ and one of the biggest names in the company is huge for him. And it's only going to help him, uh, you know, get further up in the card on the show. And I, and that's the one thing that I can say at this point, like I definitely have the trust that AEW, 
AEW is going to continue to properly use Orange Cassidy and continue to feature him on the show because they've done a really good job with that up to this point and the results are starting to pay off for them. So I just don't see why they would go in an opposite direction with that. It just wouldn't make sense. I have to say as well, too, like when AEW was first being introduced right before the pandemic era and things like that, I I know you and I both, because we talk so much, were on the similar plane of kind of saying that they have to to prove themselves. We even went to a live AEW show um, here in Pittsburgh, um, you know, when they came to Pittsburgh. And I have to say at this point, Hayad, they are very – they're falling into that being very consistent role. And yeah, as we yeah. were alluding to last week, they are becoming that true alternative to the WWE product where they're having the best wrestling on TV as opposed to some of the kind of you know hokey shit that the WWE is capable of doing. Yeah, it's definitely like I want to say like big time wrestling like WWE, which means like it's on cable. They have pretty good production values. They have talent. Um, but it is more in tune with what we like with wrestling. And, that and consistency, the, man. The bullshit. Like, and w- yeah. is too whenever you get consistent, always. whenever you can stay consistent, that's the key. Because exactly. there has been that's times, many times in the past, where the WWE was being consistent. And that's any company that's consistent. That's when their product's at their best. That's so, when they're on a roll. C- yep. Seeing AEW kind of do that right now, especially with everything going on in the world, uh, is... It's encouraging. So I, it makes me have faith in their company. It's uh, it's kind of showing that they, they do have their shit together. It's not poorly run. It doesn't seem to be poorly run. Um, and that's all I can ask at this point. So it's interesting to see where they're going uh, this point forward because obviously they're doing Fight for the Fallen uh, the week that we're recording this. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where their product evolves from here. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm looking forward to uh, Fighter Fest and... Uh or I'm sorry, to fight for the Fallen and the big match with uh, Brian Cage and John Moxley. Uh, that should be good because yeah. Moxley took the time off he needed. I guess he's all set to go. Didn't didn't get the Rona and there, from his wife. There was there was the introduction, too, because there was supposed to be the Moxley-Cage match at Fighter Fest, which they had to cancel, uh, but they did have Taz come out and present Brian Cage with the FTW title, uh, which was cool. Uh, yeah. I like that. I think that's a good way of doing that, and that's a smart thing to do. I like them together. And, uh, that's working out. I was going to say, you know, somebody mentioned too. somebody mentioned this in a wrestling group that I'm in on Facebook, but they said that, you know, Taz and Cage are like Heyman and Brock Light. And I even said, I was like, you're exactly right, and I don't care. And that's They're not really a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. They, if you could find the right people to do it with, then, hey, there's no, you know, if it was like, you know, some dude that couldn't talk and some dude, some small guy that stunk, it would be awful. Uh, but it's not. They have good t- – Taz is really good in the role, which, you know, is it's amazing to me that nobody's tried that with Taz up to this point because it's like he's pretty good on a microphone and he could do the manager shtick. So the fact that no one even bothered to do that up to this point is a little bit surprising. And uh, it's a good way to bring Cage into the company because definitely him speaking is his downfall and – I'm not saying he's terrible, but this definitely brings him up a few levels. So it's not a bad idea in any sense of the means, in my opinion. And I've enjoyed it this thus far. Yeah, we said, dude, that the bottom line is we, as huge wrestling um, fans for life, and we, we call a spade a spade, and we, we say what's good and what's not to us. And right now, I, I give all the credit in the world to AEW, man, during the, the, the whole pandemic situation. 
they've really stepped up. And for me, they've been the premier wrestling. It's it's the show that I don't miss every week. Where where WWE, I'm I'm kind of in and out, hit or miss. So props yeah. to AEW, another solid uh, show. Totally agree. Uh, successful show. Uh, as you guys know, here on the program, we do the letter grades for the wrestling shows. Uh, I'm going to give this one an A. This is exactly what I like in a wrestling show. The pace is good. The matches are good. It was fun. It was a quick night of wrestling. And when it was over with, I was like, yeah, I got my wrestling fix. That was great. That's exactly what I want from a wrestling show. Yeah, right below you with an A-. minus. Um, you know, just my own personal scale. Just going to be careful with the A's, but um, A- minus for me. Uh, but to your point, dude, it was well-paced. Liked uh, 90% of the show. And that uh that eight man was was one that like we said we'll, we'll be actually revisiting it was that good so a minus for yeah. me hey, y'all. no complaints there so that's it for our wrestling segment this week don't forget to join us next week as we are going to be reviewing uh wwe's the horror show extreme rules uh which takes place the sunday after you which guys might be a real show. horror show <laughs> yeah it very well could be uh, but that is next Sun or this upcoming Sunday. So if you guys are listening to this on Friday, uh, the Extreme Rules pay-per-views on Sunday night. So we'll be talking about that in detail on next week's show. So we are going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be doing days 16 through 23 of the 30-day film challenge. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast, urging you to check out the Make Results Not Excuses clothing company today. In 2017, Marcus and Jason began their fitness journey, and after the first day, both men looked at each other and wondered what they got themselves into. They were out of shape and struggled to initially find the motivation to keep going. It was a fight, like many things you want in life. They worked hard and eventually found themselves in the best shape of their lives. When they realized they achieved their goal, Mark looked at Jason and said, make results, not excuses. Being the fearless businessman that Jason was, he said, we need to put that on a shirt. And so the buzz began. They were so passionate about being a part of something positive and making something good out of a bad situation, whether it was fitness, business, health, lifestyle, or converting your daydreams into tangible visions, they didn't just love seeing people wearing it, they loved seeing people live by it. It's a movement, and one that reaches people in all situations. Unfortunately, Jason left us too young, and Mark is committed to carrying on his legacy. Tomorrow isn't promised, and if you wait until the last minute to achieve your goal, the opportunity may not be waiting for you. We promise to support the Make Results, Not Excuses community, and our community includes everybody. Let's make this happen today. Check us out at MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. Again, that's MakeResultsNotExcuses.com. So make results and not excuses starting now. And we're back here on the show, and it is that time once again for the 30-Day Film Challenge. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed the uh, up to this point. Uh, I think it's brought up some interesting stuff here on the show. So let's get back into it. We're doing days 16 through 23, so let's get started the J. What was or just name for me, a film with a number in the title. So um, this one coincides, hey, Ed, with a recent purchase of mine. So um, the timing's there for this. And okay. the Jay's Day 16 film with the number in the title is going to be the classic, and, and it goes into the, the video game I was talking about earlier, the classic Kurosawa film, Seven Samurai. Ah, good choice. That's a really good one, too. 
uh, I can't wait a while for the Criterion, man. A lot of cool it's, special features on there that I've never seen. Dude, so. that's that's one you got to like rip Do you apart. have that? Like, no, I don't, but it's it's on the list, trust me. It's cuz like I told you, I uh I went to Barnes and Noble and I ended up picking up a copy of Spike Lee's Bamboozled uh from the Criterion sale. And uh, there's a few there that I looked at. The only reason I didn't get anything else is because I want to get the Bruce Lee collection, uh, which is I've been having a little bit difficulty doing. But which I copped, uh, and we'll definitely when we get through. Oh yeah, reviewing that on the pod. Yeah, that's definitely something we're going to get into for sure. Is that is that sale all through July? Head till the end yeah. of July. Yeah. So yeah, for those through, listeners through that are film guys, that Criterion Collection uh, summer sale goes on till the end of July. Most stuff, if not all stuff, fifty percent off. So. Yep. Now's the time. And if you're Check not familiar, out. if you're not familiar with the Criterion Collection, it's basically a company that puts movies out on DVD and Blu-ray. But they they are the premier company. They do they put the most legwork into their releases. They always remaster their movies. They always get special features that are really really cool. Like they they really care about film. So it's like the film connoisseurs film company. Uh, so if you see something out on Criterion, uh, and if you see the Criterion Collection badge on it, uh, you know that it's quality, and it's probably the best version of that film that you could possibly find. So uh, oh, that's shit. how you do it, and and you can get their entire catalog as we speak uh, for fifty percent off. They are a little pricey, but at fifty percent off, they're they're a steal. So, yeah, it's the way to uh, go. Act now, if you will. Um, I, for the the movie with the number in the title, I didn't want to be cheap and go with like a sequel or something like that. Uh, and it's a movie that I absolutely love that is on my watch list to watch again because it's available on Amazon Prime if you guys have that. But it's the baseball movie, and it's a classic to me, uh, is Eight Men Out, all about the Chicago Black Sox. Uh, wow, good call. Uh, World Series scandal. But John it's a Cusack. great movie. Yeah, Charlie Sheen's in it. Uh, it's yeah, really, Sheen. really, really a good movie. Dude, I, I haven't watched that in forever, it. man. To, the, it's, it's on good. Prime, you said? Yeah, it's it's on Prime nice. right now yeah, included. So uh, definitely awesome. give that one a shot if you guys haven't seen it before, especially if you are uh, you know a fan of baseball. It, it's a must-watch. Day 17, your favorite animated film. Well, you know me well enough, Hey Ed, although it's not like we talk about animated stuff all like that but um mine's the lion king hands down not even a question since it came out you know when i was much younger and um just the story of it man like because it's it's almost like i mean it's almost like a whole subgenre is the the revenge films you know from death wish to to a million other movies going on and this is like such a different take of that in a way, which is why I think I I gravitate to it, towards it so much. But I just love that story, man, where he's like the forgotten, king, the long forgotten king, and everything that goes on. And he, you know, he lives with the the fact that he th- thinks he killed his father for all that time. And Scar's just like the perfect villain for the whole situation. And of course, the animation and even the music. Even though, like we talked about last week, I'm not the the biggest musical guy, but that just always holds a special uh, place in my heart. Especially, you know me, man. That's my animal. I have two lion tattoos. Um, the blue-eyed lion moniker and stuff like that because I'm a fucking weird goof. But, uh, but yeah, favorite animated movie of all time, The Lion King. Yeah, I'm not a big Disney fan, and that's a really good one. Uh, so that's that's saying a lot coming from me. Um, yeah. I was actually going to say, if you remember, we did, the, like, what was the one movie that, like, 
broke your heart. This was the one that I was going to use for this, but I didn't. Um, and it just, I figured I would shift it to animated movie because I'm not the biggest animated movie fan. Uh, but it's the movie where, as a kid, I was completely devastated by this movie uh, because at the time my hero dies in it. Uh, and it's Transformers the movie, the original animated movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, with the death, the, the death of Optimus Prime, which I literally was like, that fucking destroyed me as a kid because yeah. that was my favorite you know thing maybe ever at that point um and i actually have a dvd copy of it and i haven't watched it in a while but it still holds up man the last time i watched it i was like dude that's actually a pretty good flick even though it's like an animated movie for kids um it's pretty wild so that yeah, that's probably the one that, that i would go with i probably haven't seen that um, since i was a kid so good call yeah it's deal. It, it's a random one, but I figured it'd be, make for a good choice. So, day eighteen, a film you couldn't stop thinking about. So this was another one that just there's so many options, and I just decided to go with what I was going to go with. Uh, this is one that we thoroughly discussed and went over uh, the time it came out. It's actually a French film of all things. Okay, but that's the original okay. French Martyrs. Oh, yeah, that's a good choice, man. That's a great Dude, movie, too. That movie that's, fucked oh, with my head. Shout out to Jay North. I remember Jay North like could not get over that. when I, I, I watched it with him on my second viewing. It was his first. I bet yep. you still to this day, if you just say, hey, Jay North, Martyrs, he'll be like, oh, man, that fucking movie, you know? It was, yeah, I, I even just, remember it just stuck Jay. with me, dude. I remember Jay kind of even saying that. Oh, it's hilarious. Ago. It was like a, a like, running like inside joke. He would tell anybody that would hear him that like, you got to watch yep. this movie Martyrs. <laughs> yep. Absolutely, dude. For those so, listening that have it, never seen it, man, it's, it's a, it, I can't even explain it to you. Just fucking watch it. Yeah. There's a lot of movies that you could, I guess, at least for me that I could say this, um, but there, there's a handful that come to mind. But you know, the rules are the rules. You can only uh, exactly say one. That's what makes it interesting. Um, and it's kind of the same type of thing that Jay did with Martyrs. Um, I was like this with a lot of people, and you're actually an example of that. Uh, but the movie I couldn't stop thinking about, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, was Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, um, that's a good call. That. That's one of those movies that when you see it, it's just like you're like people that you know could sit through it or would be, you know, like would see the validity of it. You're like, dude, you got to see this. Like, it's truly like a life changing movie. And I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. And I'm not shitting on the movie either. Um, it's hard. It's like we said, it's so, an experience. That's absolute, what it is. It's like and, beyond a film, man. It's a life experience and, to sit through that. Yeah, and how many movies do you get that type of an experience from where it's an actual fucking experience? It's not exactly. just a movie it's, it's and rare. you're like, oh, that was good. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it speaks to me to the power of the movie. So I figured as far as movies that you couldn't stop. And I've seen that movie, you know, decades ago at this point. And for the first time, and I still talk about it to this day. You know what I mean? If you guys listen to the show, you heard us talk about it whenever they showed it on the last drive-in, and there's a reason for it because it's it's quite unique uh, in that manner. So, day nineteen, a film set in the future. So this one, Hey Il, is based on a, a book that I loved, and I couldn't wait for the film, and it had a lot to live up to, and I know uh, you thoroughly enjoyed this too, and we're kind of I already surprised. know what your choice is here. Ready Player One. That's a great choice. That really that is. Movie. Yeah, that's, 
And, and you know, I was pretty stoked recently because you just texted me this out of the blue, but apparently they're working on the uh, the book that's the yep, sequel ready right player now. Two. It's getting ready to come out. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I would have really cared about it at all, but I, I really enjoyed that first movie. So I'm, I'm interested, to say the least, because I think if it's anything like that, uh, it's going to be right up my alley. So in, no, in the no end, it was just there. great that everything lined up for Spielberg to be able to do it, you know, with all the eighties nostalgia, because the whole film is based on eighties nostalgia and pop culture. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. that Spielberg was able to pull that off. And, uh, th- this one's kind of funny. That's why I picked it, but a movie set in the future. That's right. In the distant future of 1997, uh, escape from New York. Nice. Because I thought that was a movie that came out, uh, you know, obviously in the 1980s, uh, but, you know, it was set in 1997, uh, which was in the future. Uh, but, you know, obviously now in 2020, that's in the distant past. <laughs> but uh, I just I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's cool. Great movie. No. Oh, it's one of my all-time favorites, man. How can you possibly hate on anything uh, pertaining to Snake Plissken? I'll never understand it. Um now, day twenty, a film that scared you. So this one, um, pretty traditional here. For my personal experience with it, um, seeing it for the first time as a kid, I had the build up from my mom. So my mom okay. would go on and on about how this movie freaked her out, how it was the first movie that that made her feel like this, with how scared she was when it first came out. And she had told me about it before because my parents were like, you know, not overly strict or anything, but somewhat strict with that. Like, you know, it took me a little bit to to see some R-rated stuff and horror stuff. But the first time I ever saw Halloween, the original Halloween. Okay. I'm going to go to that experience because as a little kid, man, and the buildup from my mom, I knew it was coming. But, you know, I was probably by the time I saw it, maybe 10-ish, something like that. I think of my daughter who's about to be nine, you know, coming into that age. Like, I don't know if she'd be able to handle that anytime soon, but yeah, the original yeah. Halloween at 10 years old, dude, fuck. Okay. See, mine's a classic, but it's, it's more the scenario. And I've told this story plenty times before. I feel like I've told it to death, but I've never told it on the podcast. Um, the movie that I'm going with is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, the reason being is because I had seen the second one, before I saw the first one. And the second one's kind of comedic. Um, and there was a drive-in near me when I was a kid that used to show the original every Saturday night at midnight. Is that North for Sales? Yeah, the Greater yeah. Valley Drive-In. Yep. And uh, the video store that I used to always go to, somebody had stolen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I'd seen all of them except for the first one up to this point. Um, and I really wanted to see the first one, but I just couldn't get it on video. Um, well, my uncle... Uh, promptly offered to take me one Saturday night and I did and I got to see it at the old drive-in there they had a screen it was the biggest screen and it had like a big huge like field in front of it like a grass field and a lot of people what they would do is they would park their cars and they would go like lay on the field on a blanket or something so that's what I did and I went and watched it by myself and I'm sitting there and I'm kind of expecting like how the second movie was and it's not like that in the fucking least and I'm freaked out and I'm by myself and I'm sitting in a field and right up you know like down the field is like trees and like a, a woods area so like I feel like at any moment that fucking Leatherface is gonna come running at me with a chainsaw 
uh, and it fucked me up. It was a weird scenario. Like it, I wasn't like crying or nothing like, but it was like, I was freaked out. Then I left and it was like, do you like the movie? Like, yeah, it was cool. Like went home and like went to bed and was like, it fucked with me for a while. It stuck with me. And it was definitely, I could tell that that's probably the closest I've ever had. Uh, even as a kid, cause movies didn't really scare me a whole lot as a kid. Um, but that fucked with me and it definitely would be the closest I've ever come to like shitting myself over a movie. So and I, I got to tell this story that, that completely correlates with this of you because it always cracked me up. So it's great to tell in the podcast. But Ed, Ed hits me up this one time like back in the day and we're just bullshit like we do. But he happens to mention to me, he's like, oh, dude, I had this weird thing happen to me last night where uh, you fell asleep watching <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre DVD. And in the yep. middle of the night, the fucking screen comes on with him like running at the screen like – and you're like, holy shit, like in the middle of the night, like half asleep. I was so cracked. out of it. Yeah. And that – dude, I remember being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like I thought I was hallucinating. But no, it's yeah. just the, the DVD menu playing repeatedly. Yeah, on a loop. Uh, yeah, on a fucking loop. Uh, but yeah, that was that, the weird things that I fall asleep to through the years. It would make make me make people think I should be fucking committed. Um, <laughs> day twenty one. Now I got to apologize for this one because I'm gonna have to cop out on this. A film that made you want to fall in love. I was gonna so, say I have to cop. I can't think of anything that I actually ever saw that put me in that kind of mindset. That's a, I, I kind of got creative with it because I kind of looked at this film how I, in a f- weird fucked up fantasy world, I would want my girl and I to be like ride or die. So that's the way I went with it. So okay. I went with true romance. That's a good – yeah, okay. Because it's yeah. like you know that's my ride or die and like it's yep. like <laughs> – No, I know, agree. My weird, yep. <laughs> my weird mind. No, no, I agree. I think that's a good call, actually. I'd probably agree with you on that. I'd probably use the same exact thing. Like I said, yeah, I like apologize. You just want your girl to be ride or die, dude, through everything. It, yeah. You know? And it's like the last chance to fucking do. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I totally get what you're saying with that one. Through a credi- uh, incredibly violent Tarantino scripted film. but Yeah. You know. Nonetheless. But still, it's the point's still valid, I think. Yeah, it's called True um, Romance. <laughs> Day 22, your favorite film set in a fantasy world. So this one I just had to go to the, the classic because um, I've already I've mentioned Lord of the Rings. And like we said, we're sticking to the rules and not repeating things because that's one of my favorite fantasy franchises. So I went I went to the classic for this Star Wars. Yeah, I was I was thinking the same way. Like I didn't want to use specific movies in certain categories and shit, and so I kind of set this aside for this one. Uh, I'm almost in agreement with you. It's in the same series, but it's not Star Wars. I'm going with The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, that's yeah, always cool. been my favorite Star Wars movie, so I figured that would be a good time to to throw that into the list. So yeah. why not put it in at 22? All right, day 23, and this is the last one that we'll be doing today. A film that means a lot to you personally. See, now, I don't know if you're going to call this a cop-out or not, and I've brought this up jokingly before, but okay. in this particular category, um, I'm not saying it jokingly because it's the film that means the most to me personally of all time, and that's the first feature film that I produced and was an actor in. I had ah. to go with Deference. Okay. Yeah, it's funny that you see. Okay. Do, do you know what I'm going to say here? The one you were involved in? Uh, sort of. Not directly. 
You'll okay. see what I'm saying here. Day of the so Dead? I, uh, yep, that's exactly what I said, because not only is it one of my favorite movies of all time, um, I've had the opportunity to meet George Romero, and I've had the opportunity to meet pretty much everyone in the cast, and I mean everyone, other than two people, uh, because they passed away, which would be uh, you know, the guy who plays Rickles, and obviously uh, Dr. Frankenstein. I didn't get to meet either because they passed away uh, years ago. Um, but I met every other central character in that movie. I mean, everyone. Um, and I actually have a few relationships with some of them. I'm, uh, John Amplis is actually a friend of mine uh, who plays Dr. Fisher. Um, I know Laurie Cardill pretty well, who's the lead character in the movie. Uh, Joe Pilato, I had the opportunity to meet several times. And uh, we actually have a hilarious story that one day on the podcast. I know yeah, we've alluded to this before, but we have to tell this story at some point. October this is a 2020. Story, that's what we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, this is a story that's so epic, we basically would need to give you a segment for this this whole night. Um, but Joe Pilato is one of my favorite people of all time. Rest in peace to him. Um, and I had the opportunity a few years back, whenever uh, Shout Factory released the Day of the Dead Blu-ray, uh, to do uh, to host one of the special features on it, which was uh, like a mall, uh, tour of the actual mine um, with a person who was there who worked for them uh, at the time that uh, Day of the Dead was being filmed. Um, it was a really cool opportunity. I'm very proud of that, and it's it's one of the best things I ever got to do, and it's the closest I'll ever come to be able to say that I was in a Romero film or in Day of the Dead, so that's why that movie uh, means a lot to me personally. So, couldn't go with anything else. I mean, I could have picked a few other movies, but uh, my go-to on that one was definitely Day of the Dead. Yeah, so. I mean, it's as personal as you get. Yeah, check, check out our boy, Day of the Dead Special Features. Yeah, if you guys want to check it out, it's actually on YouTube. What I'll probably do is I'll probably post it up on the Twitter if you guys want to watch it. Uh, and you can follow us at, at What's Real Pod one uh, on Twitter. And uh, whenever you guys are listening to this, by the time the show's up, I'll post a video up there if you want to check it out. Uh, or if you want to own a copy for some known reason, other than the fact that Day of the Dead is an amazing movie, uh, pick up the Shout Factory Blu-ray. Uh, yep, it's of course, that's one. the one I it bought. It's really good. Support Appreciate my boy. that, man. Oh, yeah. I, hey, put it this way. I had to buy it, too, and I'm on the motherfucker. Yeah, man. It's awesome. Goddamn awesome experience. DVD companies. What the fuck? Can't, <laughs> can't even get a contributor copy, but I'll deal with that. Uh, that's all good. But uh, that's it for us on the 30-day movie challenge this week. Uh, don't forget, we are not done yet. We got days 24 through 30 coming to you next week on the podcast. So we're going to finish that up for the month of July. I'm sure we'll have something pretty cool planned for August as well. So stay tuned for that uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, that's it for this segment. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, it is once again time for Thursday Night Prime. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Bayview Entertainment LLC is a full-service media company committed to acquire, develop, produce, market, and distribute audiovisual content. For over 15 years, Bayview made its name by being dedicated to releasing only the best programs in each category from some of the most trusted names in the field. Bayview's disc programming can be found throughout the country at all online suppliers plus fine brick-and-mortar retailers, as well as streaming video on demand at all major digital retailers and platforms. Bayview is honored to partner with Churchill Pictures LLC for the worldwide release of The Unsung the newest feature film from Churchill Pictures. Follow details about The Unsung's upcoming release at churchillpictures.com and bayviewentertainment.com. 
And we're back here on the show, and it is time, as it is time every week here on the program for Thursday Night Prime. And this week we go back to 1995, uh, where we're going to meet up with Robert Davey, Michael Pere, John Savage, Joel Gray, Elliot Gold, Paula Barbieri, Juan Fernandez, Ron Jeremy, Marco St. John, and a bunch of other weird fuckers uh, with the movie called The Dangerous. Um, just in case you guys didn't hear last week the synopsis, it's brother and sister ninja warriors get revenge for their sister's death by killing the drug dealers in New Orleans. The police enlist the help of a biker warrior to solve the crime. The head drug dealer stirs the pot even further by hiring Cajun warriors to kill those he believes are responsible for the deaths of his dealers. Now, I gotta say right out of the gate here that the synopsis sounds way fucking better than what we actually got here uh, because this one is uh, a little goofy. Um, now, the director, David Winters, I was really surprised when I saw this was David Winters because he has directed uh, other stuff such as Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, uh, the movie Thrashing, which is an old skateboarder movie from the 80s, and a movie I'm extremely familiar with, uh, with Joe Pilato, or Joe Pilato, Joe Spinell, and Carolyn Monroe. He actually did the 1980 horror film, The Last Horror Film, um, which is actually pretty good. Um, but sadly, I don't think I can say as much for this. This is a movie that is fucking bizarre because I already named all the people in the cast and I have no idea how the hell they got all these people to be in this. And this is the literal definition of me. Uh, whenever you see like a really good cast of a movie and the movie stinks and it's like, yeah, everybody pretty much phones in their performance. And that's kind of how I felt about this one. I mean, this might've been um, our top three of worst Thursday night primes covered on the pod yet. As far as that Dude. goes. I'm very happy to hear you say that because I was literally thinking that, and now there's probably been worse movies. Okay. But I hammer movies when I feel like they have all the things in them to make it a good movie and they still don't. So to me, this is almost a worst case scenario where I've seen movies that people have made in their backyards that are better than this. Not technically, they didn't have shit, and the movies were enjoyable. This has a full cast. There was some money behind it and everything, and this might be the least I've ever enjoyed a movie that we've covered on this segment. However, though, there was... Oh, it, it's the, it's not completely <laughs> devoid. The That's Dave's true. classic unintentional comedy, which could oh, be it's like there. the sub-name for this, but I still have my... Uh, my notes and bullet points of shit that, that had me dying and, and that I was entertained by. First of which was like one of the opening scenes where um, Robert Davies' character is lured to this uh, cemetery uh, by one of his old you know boys about this thing. And he, he, of course, finds him like basically tied up to a cross, like half dead. And he's like, man, I'm, yep. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were set up. Which is like hilarious because it's like, you know, he wasn't going nuts. Like, dude, you know, get out of here. Like we were set up. He like does it all slow. So of course, seconds later, they start getting shot at. The guy gets all shot up. But the funny part is, and what I wanted to bring up first and foremost, was that there's no rain in sight, and all these uh, Asian dudes shooting at <laughs> Robert Davy have fucking umbrellas. 
Yeah, it, and I'm just it like, bizarre. it's going to be one of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, that's one thing that I will say, and it starts right from the beginning. Pretty much everything that happens in this movie happens without any fucking rhyme or reason whatsoever. Nothing makes like consistent sense. Um, like the the police captain is played by Marco St. John, and I was dying because I know him as the sheriff from Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Um, so I was laughing at that already, but like almost every time he appears on screen, whatever happens is nonsensical as fuck. It doesn't pertain to anything and it doesn't affect anything in the plot of the movie really at all. Yeah. And he's in it a bunch. Yeah. Um, some of the other things were like when they started talking up, the main villain is Tito. And I was getting a chuckle out of that. Just how they talk about Tito. It's like, you know, boy, is he terrible. Yeah, that's the uh, it's it's one of the villains from Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, from two, part two. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, who's, part two. who's also yeah. in uh, his name's Juan Fernandez. Um, he's in Arachnophobia, and he's also in Salvador too. Um, and he looks like ten other bad guys from movies from that era. But dude, he is so bad in this fucking movie. There's one part in the movie where it, Michael Pere and and Robert Davy like have him cornered, and it's like, all right, what are you gonna do now? And he's like, can I talk to you in a whisper? And he's like, sure. And then he comes over to him, and he's like, so what happened? What? And I'm like, he's not even whispering. What the fuck is going on? Why is this happening? Why is anybody playing along with this? Why was that written in this fucking script? It makes no sense. No. And I mean, even just Robert Davies' name, Davalos, the way people say that throughout. And of course, he's Wild Billy. And it just, it like sounds up one of my made up names. Hey, Ed, like Wild Billy Davalos. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like. Like you're like you're like uh, like me and you are somewhere and like a friend of ours shows up and you're like watch this I'm a fuck with him and it's like what's up man like hey good to see you dude what have you been up to like not much man just working hard I got a job with a uh, Billy Davidos a uh, <laughs> yeah. real cool guy and meanwhile you're just bullshitting it's yeah. all a lie uh, <laughs> but dude yeah it's dude and okay this is a major problem here and i don't know if this was just the version they have on prime or what i'm gonna say it's not the sound in this movie is so fucking terrible you can barely hear people talking they're they're shooting sound live on a set that they use in the movie like it's the they the whole sound design is wrong they're just live recording mics. They're not even boom micing people. So everything just sounds like fucking they're yelling in, in a fucking cave. It's awful. Yeah. So bad. And um, yeah, some of the other things, uh, this was pretty funny. When um, Michael Perrier's character is first going to get hooked up with Davey, they're like, of course, the usual. You know, When he's getting, getting new, blown. Well, yeah, they're getting you a new partner. <laughs> and before that, though, he's like, don't worry, you'll hate him. <laughs> And then, mm-hmm. and then, and then he's getting blown, and it's another like classic trope, horrible '90s sex scene. And Perrier's like finally starting to get head, and Davy's just standing right there. And he's like, <laughs> he's like then he freaks out. There? 
But I did lo- I did love for the no reason thing where the he's like, all right, I'll be out here. And then she's like, boy, what is that guy's problem? He's like, the captain told me I would hate him. And then he yeah. walks back in, and they're just looking at him, and he's like, to the girl, he's like, can I borrow your shirt? And she's like, sure, and just throws it at him, like, yeah, topless. Just, like, it's, like that, yeah. it's like that made no sense. Nothing about this makes any fucking sense. It's yeah. hilarious. But it, I'm like, no one working on this is competent. There's so that, much wrong with this movie. Then at one point, the, um, you know, the, the warriors, you know, the Cajun-like warriors or the Asian warriors that, that you were referencing um, get the one dude, and they throw him off a roof. And the mm-hmm. fall takes like 27 minutes. It's like one it's fall, three, three or four cuts. And, but it's, it's actually pretty good in the end. You know, it just Dude, smashes on the fucking floor. <laughs> but I was dying. I'm like, I was like a 27-minute fall. I noticed this twice in the movie, and it's the weirdest fucking thing. But, like, someone would die in the movie. And then they, right before a cut scene, they get this awkward close-up of them dead on the ground, which basically yeah. means their eyes and their mouth are wide fucking open. And I'm like, what are they doing? Like, why did they do, like, quick, get a close-up of the dead guy looking like an idiot. Got it. Cut. Perfect. Move on. And, dude, it's so, like, okay, Robert Davies phoning it in. Michael Perry looks like he's on acid the whole movie. Like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, which is possible. Uh, John Savage comes in in the most wasted role in the history of wasted roles as he shows up as a ponytailed assassin where everything him and his cousin say is like us doing the fake French fucking uh, accent. Like, yeah. we'll tell you how we're yeah. going to kill them. The cage. Don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. Then they die midway through the movie, and I'm like, well, they died before they really got to do anything. Um, Elliot Gold shows up in one scene in this movie, and I'm like, who fucking had naked pictures of him for him to be in yeah, this seriously. fucking movie? Yeah, he um, plays like a drug dealer of all things, too. Joel Gray plays a character named Flea in the movie, who's yeah, kind of a hilarious. memorable character. But, dude, this is something that I didn't even know until I was reading about this. That dude is literally a Hall of Fame Broadway actor, which is like, yeah, so you hilarious. give him a role as a hobo. Yeah, he's and a then hobo. Paula, and like... it's, it makes no sense. He has a fucking cell phone. In 94, which is <laughs> way out of he's, place. He's stuck in the trunk, and the, the dude's like, Perrier calls him. He's like, how are you talking to me right now? He's like, modern technology. He's like, how, how do you hear this? He's like, I, I'm like a bat. I shouldn't be named <laughs> Flea. I should be named Bat. <laughs> Dude, I was dying during yeah, that part. What the hell? And, and the movie also stars Paula Barbieri as a love interest slash, I guess, hooker in the, the movie. Yeah. And it's funny because her major claim to fame is O.J.'s girlfriend and not just any girlfriend of O.J. She was the girlfriend of O.J. Simpson when he most likely murdered his ex-wife <laughs> yeah. and uh, Ron Goldman. So there you go there as a little 90s pop culture tie-in with this as well. Um uh. As one of the assassins in the movie is Carrie Haruyuki 
Tagawa, who you might remember is playing uh, Shang Tsung Shang in the uh, Mortal Kombat movies. He's in License to Kill. He's in Showdown in Little Tokyo, American Me, and I had to bring this. I didn't remember him from it, but he's apparently in Thunder in Paradise 3, the That's classic uh, Chris Lemon Hulk Hogan franchise that was also <laughs> a television show. Um this movie features a ton of weird, shaky handheld camera because they had to fucking further get across that nobody competent's apparently working on the movie. Um, dude, I put in, like, I'm looking at my notes. There's three things that stick out to me that's hilarious. I wrote 33 minutes in, and this is already super disjointed. I wrote 63 minutes in, and I've basically given up all hope that this is going to be any good. And I also wrote. A quote from John Savage in the scene where he dies. He gets stabbed by a samurai sword, falls off a balcony of a movie theater, lands weirdly in a chair, and whenever the cops, which is Michael Pere and and Robert Davey, go over to him, he's still alive. And in that stupid accent, he's like, it's so ridiculous to die like this. (laughs) And then he just dies. Yeah. So, like, okay, so there was some hope that the movie could be good because that scene was fucking amazing. (laughs) Um, Another thing, too, here that's really... The movie has no suspense. Shit just happens. You don't even know what's coming, and it happens, and then, like, a major thing is resolved. And it's like, okay, I guess. That's weird, but whatever. Is it almost over yet? Um (laughs) 96 minutes running time was a total fucking chore. And pretty much everything in this movie, outside of like a couple funny lines, is just a complete waste of time. I remember the first time I I had to pause it and uh, I come back and I'm like, there's still 50 minutes left. I felt like I was there for two hours. But uh, I'll wrap it up on my end. Hey, you up with a few things. Um, One hilarious part, this had me dying. So at one point, like two of the like the bad guys or whatever, not none of the main bad guys, but you know, part of the bad guys go to the uh, police station, and there's like that chick there, and she's like, "Who are you?" And they're like acting like cops, and of course she sees like the one dude's badge, and she's like, "He turned in his badge, or like he died two years ago." Who are you? So they like stab her, okay? Yep. Then, then the phone rings. They like stab her in this office. She's like in the police office. Nobody else is there. The bad guy stab her. So I'm thinking they're gonna say something witty, because like the, he answers the phone. Like you know, she had a stabbing to take care of, or something like ridiculous. Yeah. But having to having to do with the situation. And, uh, and it's Sean like, Savage too. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. And they're like, they're like, who are you? And he he's like, uh, I'm in for Morgan. She got taken away. <laughs> and I was, yeah, like, I was waiting like, for something witty. He's just like she got taken away. I'm just like, oh my god. And then there was, of course, the scene towards the end with Davy, where um, Davy's like, like the one guy's like, what are, what are you here for? And he's like, oh, I'm here to work. And he's like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a musician. He's like, what do you play? And he takes out his weapons. He's like, guns. And just yeah. like, <laughs> dude, there's one scene in this movie. That it's the most mind-boggling shit of all time. So there's like a scene where Davy and Paula Barbieri are in a car with the ninja assassins, and they pull them out of the car at at this like side of the road, and they're like, "We're going to let you live," and they leave them there, and then they take the car, 
And at this point, Michael Perret is trying to find them. So for no fucking reason, uh, Robert Davey takes his coat off and puts it over a sign and then just starts walking away. Then Michael Perry stops the car because he sees the sign with the jacket on it. He takes the jacket off the sign, walks a little bit into the woods, and Paula Barbieri and Davey are standing there talking, leaning against a tree. And then they notice him, and they're like, Hey, what are you doing? And he, he just makes this weird look and starts laughing, and then they leave. Yeah, I'm like, what the like- fuck was the purpose of any of that? It was the weirdest, oh my god, I'm like, at that point, I'm like, could this movie please just die already? Fuck. Well, and then, of course, the end where the the two, the uh, brother and sister warrior team get killed by the main good dudes because they, like, sacrifice themselves. (laughs) Yep. Could this get any goofier? Like, what? But then, it, it doesn't fully sell out, it pays off to one point. And you know the movie's over at this point as you see Robert Davey with Paula Barbieri on the back of his motorcycle riding to the weirdest song of all time. Of all time, and, yep. And then, then the credits roll because, of course, the movie's over. he had on. Yeah, it's like, dude, we you didn't resolve anything. I don't even know what the conflict was here in this movie to begin with. The goddamn main bad guy died 25 minutes before the <laughs> yeah. end of the movie. And then the and good guys just, kill the other good guys. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like, the conclusion stupid. themselves. And yeah, it's like this movie's supposed to have like this big theme of like honor and glory, but they didn't clarify any of it at all through the whole fucking ninety six <laughs> well, half, run. Halfway halfway oh. through, the, they're interviewing the the mom of the brother and sister, and she's like, "You got to take them down." And they're like, "Wait, you want us to kill your kids?" And she's like, "Yeah, because yeah. they're gonna kill other drug dealers." And they're like, "What?" And she's like, "My other daughter makes a living dealing in cocaine." I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is so fucking muddled that I'm like, did you even, it's like they all, they somehow uh, fooled investors into believing their shit and then they got the money and actors and everything lined up and they showed up like, fuck, we didn't even write a script, just throw some shit on a napkin and we'll just shoot it. And they didn't know what direction they were going in the entire movie. And it shows, because there's literally no point. I don't even understand how anybody, like, did this. Like other That's than my, maybe Michael Perret was an alcoholic at that point, so he's like, whatever, it's a job. Yeah, but I'm like, why work. did the rest yeah. of these people do? Like, why did Elliot Gould do this? He's a fucking like a legitimate, respected actor. I don't even think he needed a payday. Like, who did you owe yeah. a favor to? Him and Davey were just partying or something at the time. He's like, I'll I'll jump in that the dangerous with you. And he's like, are you sure? So they, they give me napkins instead <laughs> of a like, script. He's off. like, I don't whatever. <laughs> He's like, we could but, just uh, do cocaine for a week in New Orleans. Let's go for it. <laughs> to, to wrap it up, hey, you know, um, number one, uh, those listeners that, that want to check it out, go to What's Real Pod 1 on our Twitter. Uh, Mr. Hey Ed posted the poster, which is hilarious because Michael Perrier is just holding a pair of titties. Yeah, it's that's hilarious. why I picked that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, as we always do. The taglines, deceitful, desperate, deadly, the dangerous. And then um, the secondary tagline was, uh, where was it here? Um, Honor is more than a word. So the usual terrible taglines to our TNP segment. And, uh, yeah, I got to give this one one and a half hate you. 
yeah, you're being a little bit nicer than me. Um, <laughs> I really did not care for this at all. And like I said, uh, extra points against this one because they had every reason for this to be a pretty decent movie, and it just wasn't. I'm going to go with one star. Uh, if you guys want to torture yourself, you could watch it on Amazon Prime. But remember, we watch this stuff so you don't have to. So, you know, just stick with one of the other titles that we've already reviewed on here because this is probably, in my opinion, uh, the least enjoy. I won't say it's the worst film because it's there's some technical problems with some of the other ones, too. But, uh, dude, this is just That's the least bad. enjoyable one that we've watched so far, I think. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, that's it this week for Thursday Night Prime. Next week, we're going to be going back to the year we actually graduated high school, because we're old as fuck, 1998, <laughs> for the Jerry P. Jacobs film, Running Red, uh, with Jeff Speakman yeah, making his first Jeff appearance yeah. on Thursday Night Prime. And Angie Everhart uh, is also in that one. You might remember her from uh, Last Action Hero. She's in a bunch. She was a model Bordello in the 90s. Yep, Bordello of Blood. She made a bunch of uh, appearances on the Howard Stern show in the 90s that were pretty memorable as well. Uh, Absolutely. So that we'll be looking at next week. And to give you guys a little bit of a preview, it's Gregory is an ex-Soviet commando haunted by the death of his brother and trying to forget his old life in the U.S., However, Gregory realizes that he already has started a family of his own that the past is never far behind. A former superior from his days as a Ruski hired gun orders him to kill some people or watch his new family die. It looks like Gregory doesn't have much of a choice because he's grown fond of having Angie Everhart for a wife. And yeah, that's a real synopsis that I read. So uh, we'll be doing that next week on Thursday Night Prime, nor do I. So uh, (laughs) check out the show next week for that. So. Uh, we are going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, guys, we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to have some goofs as well. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's Ed from the What's Real Podcast, here today for Gross Fest 2020. Well, fellow horror fans, the goal of Gross Fest is to have a one-day horror convention that has lots of independent filmmakers in their films, cool vendors, cool authors, beer, and just having fun horror in independent nerd haven. Yes, we're going for more independent film stuff than mainstream, but all is welcome. We want to try and keep the vendor spaces and tickets cheap and have it at a great location that may allow us to do it again if we can pull it off. We do not want to reinvent the convention. As much as try and have a horror convention in Pittsburgh, people will care about as much as the past. It's about horror fans having fun for the day. Gross Fest 2020 takes place July 25th and 26th, 2020 at the George Washington Hotel, 60 South Main Street, Washington, PA, 15301 at 724-225-3200. Check us out at grossfest.com. And we're back, getting ready to close out the show. Thanks for listening this week as we thank you guys every week. If you have anything you'd like to contribute, if you'd like to swear at us, have any comments, suggestions, concerns, or anything like that, you can email us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. If you're listening on iTunes, we appreciate the five-star review. It always helps the algorithm out, helps get some more eyes and ears on the show, which is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at whatsrealpod1. We have a lot of stuff that we're going to start putting up on the uh, Twitter pages, videos and stuff associated with the things we talk about on the show. So you're going to want to join us over there as well. If you're on Twitter, make sure you do that as well. And uh, the J. 
it is that time once again. What do we have on the goof front this week? Well, in such a crazy world, on such a crazy planet Earth at this time, hey, Il, we are going with the second consecutive week of having a trifecta here. We have three goofs. Three We're sets overwhelmed of goofs, I by say. goofs, if you Just will. Goofs everywhere, man. Goofs galore. I mean, this segment really worked out here in 2020. So the first ones are a super popular Hollywood actor in his somewhat less popular <laughs> Hollywood wife, and that is the Will and Jada Pinkett Smith uh, current, uh, let's just say marriage scandal, if you will, where um, I guess a young man came out that's a friend of the family's and admitted that Jada and he had an affair in the past, and it you know blew up on Twitter and became... Uh, celebrity news. She initially denied it, but then they did their red table show that they do with with their family, and she came Dude, back to admit it. And did you watch Will this? Smith's like, yes. Dude, all I gotta say is one word: transgressions. <laughs> yeah. I so, was dying. I mean, this is kind of like a, an opposite situation, like we were talking about. Like you'd kind of just. The way things go with like your kind of outlook on men and women, that it'd be Will Smith in the driver's seat here, but old Jada got the pants in the the Smith house. It looks like because uh, she just admits to to banging the young buck, and it was uh, they were broken up at the time, so it's all good. Yeah, I mean, and dude, the internet is murdering this shit because, dude, the funniest one is the to me the one where he like it's just a picture of Will Smith looking all distraught. And at the top, it's like, when you can't even kill her, because then she'll be with Tupac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's been some great memes, man. And um, it's it's the classic thing. I don't think people mind when, you know, shitty things happen to big-time rich and famous celebrities, which, you know, people were people, man. And I love Will Smith and respect them, so it is what it is. But at the end of the day, I mean, it meant, might be some emotional and mental anguish, but, you know, nobody's hurt here or anything, so... Let's just enjoy the memes. Absolutely. So that's one down. So that's one down. Next up is uh, similar to last week, man. We're in correlation here. The next one's a, a visual kind of thing. So you guys can check it out within uh, social media. And, um, you know, maybe we could even start posting some of this stuff so you guys can just easily look at, at some of our topics through our What's Real Pod 1 Twitter account. Uh, but this one is where uh, some guys were stuck in a little river canal or a you know, large <laughs> creek. And one of the friends is, is makes it to the river bank. And the other friend is getting um, chased by an alligator, if you will. I mean, not chased, but it's cre- the alligator's creeping up on him. And he's swimming. And the friend that makes it to the river bank does his best Macho Man Randy Savage impression and does an elbow drop onto the fucking alligator, saving his friend in the process. And, and you had a pretty good point on this one, hey, y'all. Yeah, it's like, okay, I get it. It's ballsy, right? You know, I mean, if you're going to drop an elbow on a fucking alligator, like, that's legit, right? But then at the same time, if you think about it, is it really that impressive? Because put yourself in the shoes of the guy on the riverbank. Like, what am I supposed to do? Crawl into the water slowly and fist fight a fucking alligator? Like, (laughs) uh, that's probably the only other thing I could think of that I might do is maybe like a knee drop or something. But like, yeah, that's probably uh, other like if I had no access to like a brick or big fucking stone or something to like pummel it with like yeah that's probably what i would have done too but it's great because he like gets air 
(laughs) Oh, I mean, trust me. Now, you're talking a whole other topic here, which is like judging the velocity and air travel time of the elbow drop. I'm saying like Macho Man would have been proud on that. Yeah, his trajectory and the arc of it. So, I mean, you know know my ass, man. I mean, to, to do a Macho Man flying elbow drop onto an alligator for real, just ridiculous. So, yeah, check that out if you haven't yet. Viral video, I'm sure it's easy to find. Elbow drop on alligator saves friend. And uh, last but not least is the newest Burger King campaign, which the ad says, breathe the farts of change. I didn't even get to see this yet, and I'm kind of pissed (laughs) that I didn't. So Burger King is saying that. Wait a minute. Yeah. I was going to say, go go ahead. Go with what you're going to say here. Okay. So Burger King. Okay. So Burger King, because this has to do with methane emissions from cows. They're saying cow farts and burps are bad for the planet. Really? That's why we're working to change our cow's diet and help fight climate change. And then they have this entire music video with this young goof in all white, like country gear, basically yodeling. He comes out in like, like those Western push doors of a cow's anus to begin the goddamn thing and sings a a fucking cow menu song. Uh, promoting breathing the farts of change. Okay, now this is up to you. I'm going to leave this in your hands because I didn't see the video. Do you want to get a live reaction of my me watching the video here? Yes. Okay, hold I'll on. play it at the same time. Count it down. All right. Three, two, one. So we're watching the kid coming out of the anus. Yep. <laughs> what the fuck? What? He's in fucking his space. <laughs> in the gas mask. I'm done. I'm fucking done. Goose goose, Dude, buddy. they're standing on melting icicle herb. Uh, fu- oh my god, I can't do this. <laughs> Adding lemongrass, that's their big plan. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Here goes the yodeling. <laughs> the fucking cow. Oh, Jesus Christ. Holy fuck. Hey. Missions more more than a third. Uh, Wolford Brimley makes a guest. Jesus Christ. Back at it. Here we go. Messing. <laughs> oh, my God. Join in, hey, Ed. Low carbon land. Oh, my God. They're they're riding a burger <laughs> roller coaster. This is someone made this. Holy! We're part shit. of the problem. We are working to be part of the solution. Well, so, yeah, that's not SNL. That's a real Burger King commercial. Goofs oh my are god, goofs! I'm so glad I just did that. Yeah, good call. Oh my god! Now is that it for this week, or do we still have another one? 
that was it. That was the trifecta. Will Smith, the oh. alligator elbow drop, and uh, the fart song from Burger King. The fart song from Burger King. Hey, hats off to you, Burger King. That's all I got to say. That was unbelievable. It's so weird. Hey, I, I, I don't feel like eating a Whopper. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, real quick, before we go this week, we didn't do it. This is something that I mentioned last week that we're going to do on the show. And we're going to do it randomly. So this is as random as it gets. So the J, sneaker check. What did you oh, nice. have on feet today? Oh, this, this today, earlier, since it was a nice-ass day, I've been sneaking it up. I had on the um, the Black Hat 4s. Ah, good day for those, man. Fucking A, man. I, those are nice. I actually went and undiest a pair that I had. I had a pair of um, Nike Air Hirachi uh runs the just do it pack uh so i yeah, wore those for the first time dude nice. super comfortable now here's the weird thing now i've have other pairs of hirachis but this is really weird wearing these ones like they're super grippy for some reason like i noticed it walking in the parking lot where i live and i was like dude that's fucking crazy like you actually feel it on your feet and i was like well i was just a little unexpected that's but it was good. cool that's awesome yeah. Yeah. So and you said so you got those uh, for forty bucks back stock. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally found a fucking sale on them, so it was worth it when yeah, I grabbed awesome. them. Uh, but yeah, that's what I went with today. So, um, but sneaker uh, check, sneaker check. It's that time once again, the J. That's it for us this week. We uh, we thank you guys for listening to the show as we do here every week, and uh, you know, you know how we do it around this time. So take it away, the J. Yeah, taking it home like the Jay does. Shout out to our producer, Cam, for all his work. The wizard behind the magic, putting it together. Appreciate you, Cam. Hey, Il, my man, did it again. Loving the podcast, enjoying it week to week. Would rather be nowhere else on a Tuesday afternoon, man. Much love to everybody. Stay safe and healthy, and I will um, be around next week. And as I always say, love the show. You'll hear me next week. Peace. Right on, man. So, as usual, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Have them listen as well. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, shout out to our producer for putting the show together. Out to our producer himself, superstar Billy Cam. Uh, you are the man. We appreciate all the work you put in for us here every week. Uh, the J, nobody else I'd rather be doing it with, brother. Appreciate you sitting down. Uh, as you do every week around this time. So that's it for us this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We appreciate you doing so. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, a big shout-out. And this is uh, July 16th was the date that George Romero passed away in 2017, so I wanted to acknowledge that on the show as well. Rest in Uh, power. Rest in peace always to George Romero, my favorite uh, film director of all time. So that's it for us this week, guys. We'll see you next week on the show. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you then. Bye. What's real? The real question is, what's real?